Today's Transmissions podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. 80stees.com has an incredible selection of Transformers shirts and hoodies, including some amazing Transformers costume hoodies. Transform into Grimlock, Megatron, or even Optimus Prime with the 80stees.com costume hoodies. We won't talk too much about it because actually uh, Yoshi hasn't, hasn't read anything yet, so we don't want to spoil things for him yet. So he, he doesn't know that uh, Megatron comes back in all pink. So I shouldn't <laughs> say nothing about that. Okay. In so. support of breast cancer awareness. Absolutely. Which is a very worthwhile goal. So, of course. Um, so it's he's good not news. A, he's not a monster. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that the cannon has gone. Um, but, uh, you know, for, for reasons of sensitivity and... Uh, so that's good news. But yeah, no, he's not a monster. He, he, he supports a lot of causes. He's, he likes animals. Um, <laughs> so, but good. Yeah. Um, you're going to love the, the yeah, there's going to be so many facts like this are going to crop up. You're going to love it. <laughs> I could see Megatron supporting like spaying and neutering your pet. I, I think he would. And I, I think unfortunately the way that he does it is by fusion cannon to the gentleman. <laughs> uh, so, like, he's humane on one hand, and on the other hand, uh, you know, no one's coming out of it a winner. But th- his heart's in the right place. Um, <laughs> guns don't kill people. Bullets kill people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Gun- guns don't uh, uh, spay on you to your pets, but a fusion cannon uh, <laughs> definitely does what's needed. Get rid of all remnants of them balls. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah. It's gonna be. It's 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 such an intense blast that the dog won't even be sure if it was a male or a female to begin with. It's, uh, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it actually blasts sexuality out of the dog. It's incredible. It's, it's, it's <laughs> from um, from Cybertron that we're only just beginning to reap the benefits of. So, <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Perfect. I'm sure our our listeners will love. Uh, reading about <laughs> special ways yeah. to take care of your pets. <laughs> yeah, the, the issue 100 is just is is a 100-page public service advisory message. <laughs> um, and and that's that's what it's all been about. So, I think people will be shocked, but um, <laughs> you know. Hello all sentient beings and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the On this epic marathon episode of Transmissions, we welcome comic book colorist John Paul Baldy, whose work can be seen regularly on IDW's Regeneration 1. We've got news on the North American release of Masterpiece Prowl, a big guest announcement for TFCon Toronto, and a comic review of Regeneration 1, issue 98. We have all this and so, so, so very much more on this episode of Transmissions. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast where Transformers past and present collide. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. I have to mention that today is the 40th anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. I have nothing to say to that. And Daryl, the Cybertronian beast. What's Dungeons and Dragons? We're done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. We're not, we're not friends anymore. All right. <laughs> so, uh, 
as we end the podcast, but <laughs> let's uh, let's get back into it because we have a special guest. So we have a very special guest today. He's the colorist on IDW's continuation of the classic G1 Transformers series, Regeneration 1. His colors make the amazing art in that book look even amazinger and was my pick for the best colorist of 2013, even though he didn't win our poll. Uh, please welcome Mr. John Paul Bove. Hello. Uh, I'd like to say that I'm a one-eyed paladin with a plus three sword and a defense potential of 60. Yes! <laughs> Somebody gets me! Uh, my weaknesses are magic, so... Uh... Hello, everyone. All right, let hey. me... Oh, Go ahead. Sorry, I, was, I was waving to you, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why you couldn't hear that from where you were. Well, let me roll a saving throw and I can redo the uh, the intro yeah! here. <laughs> Best podcast ever. <laughs> uh, I should have asked before we started, but uh, is your last name pronounced Bove or Bove? I've heard people say it both ways. It, it, it's technically neither, um, but because um, it's Italian, so it's actually Bove. Uh, oh, okay. But, but Bove is kind of what people can say. Uh, so, but uh, but I accept all variations thereof. So all right. I, I'm never offended. Oh, that's good. I'm. <laughs> So my saving throw uh, succeeded. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I accept your challenge, sure. <laughs> uh, as long as it's a pronunciation of those four letters and not other four-letter words, then I cannot be offended by the way you pronounce my surname. <laughs> All right, so let's jump right into an interview with uh, Mr. Bove. Good, good, good go. That's impressive. <laughs> so... Uh, just to start off with, uh, you know, how you got into the coloring game, was there a certain point in your life that you can look back on and say that was the point I be chose to become an artist? Uh, well, pretty much as far back as I can remember, I was always drawing uh, and always trying to tell my own uh, stories. I had comics from... I, I can't remember the time I didn't have comics. Um, my first... Uh, materials other than pen and paper were, were, I believe, nail varnish on the walls of our house, uh, which pleased my parents no end. Um, but no, I think I've always wanted to draw. Um, I, I learnt somewhere along the line that I really couldn't draw, um, and I tended to write um, because I found that that was something I, I could do and enjoyed and kind of kept getting better at. Uh, and then the the colouring side of things was actually, I started colouring my own stories because I didn't know any colourists. So I had people that penciled and drew them, uh, but I didn't have anyone that coloured. So I thought, I I'll I'll try this because I have nobody else to turn to 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 do it. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, surprisingly, I've ended up doing uh, uh, more colouring than I have writing in the last few years. But yeah. So cool. yes, I, I've drawn forever, as far as I can tell, just not very well forever. <laughs> cool. All right, so uh, how did you break into the comics industry and and what was your first paid work? Um I probably have the 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 least direct comic book breaking in story ever, uh which is that I, that I started um writing uh TV and film uh stuff, nothing that that ever kind of went anywhere, but that was what I was primarily writing. And um when Dreamwave started doing their comics again, I started popping into my local comic book shop to to get comics. I hadn't bought any in, in a long time. Uh, got back into it that way. Ended up going to a local comic book group uh, that was at that shop. And we started doing small press and self-published and small kind of projects that way. Uh, and that's where I started writing 
drawing, and then of course learning to color uh, and letter. In fact, uh, whilst whilst I was doing that, uh, started as the coloring got more and more uh, an aspect that I was very much enjoying. I started me kind of doing coloring bits and pieces for for just friends and people that I knew off of um, deviant art and various art places. And actually, it was um, Matt Frank who we all now know from uh kind of Godzilla and Mars attacks transformers and things like that. Great. Uh I actually uh, he put out a call for someone to work on one of the old Transformers mosaics and I quite liked his stuff so I sent a message saying here is here are my things um and he liked those things and we did that um strip together and then a little while after that he contacted me and said hey I'm doing this uh, one-shot comic book uh, that was uh, kind of a spin-off from the old Harryhausen um, Clash of the Titans movies. Uh, would you like to colour it? Uh, so that was my first, the first kind of professional thing, kind of not not a small press or a uh, you know project that I did. Um, and then yeah, it was just a, a case of um, that. It's always the the first step of breaking in is really hard, uh, but what they never tell you is the second step of of breaking in is even harder. Uh, somehow it's harder to get the second job I found than the first. Um, and then the, I think maybe the, the first big thing after that was, um, two, uh, Transformers covers for New York Comic Con. Uh, Transformers and G.I. Joe, sorry. Okay. Uh, which was again my first foray into that. But, you know, I did some Doctor Who about that time and lot, lots of things just, just started to appear, um, uh, around that time. So yeah, it kind of took a little while, but we got there in the end. Cool. So uh, you mentioned that you, I guess you kind of uh, are self-taught in uh, learning how to color. So what is your process for coloring and what's your current setup? Well, l- like all colorists, I have the, um, uh, the the smoking jacket and pipe that we're all issued with. <laughs> um, and uh, the, the cognac glass that we have to throw into the fireplace after every successful page. Um, my, my, um, my setup's fairly simple. Um, I have a, um, a PC. Not a Mac. Um, a, uh, a bamboo tablet. Not a Cintiq. Um, and, uh, just, you know, I've got like an external monitor that I, 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 uh, decent size when I pump everything out to. Um, my process is, is, um, I've kind of noticed everybody's is a little bit different, but I mean, usually the way things work is you, you kind of have the, the black and white page. You, you fiddle with the levels on that so that it's a nice solid black and white page. You lay in the block shape kind of colors on there and then and then i i always render from um shadows up to light um so i like to get a sense of where the light's falling and where the shadows are coming first and then i then i work out where the highlights are and everything else um but my my setup's fairly fairly straightforward at the, the beginning of my coloring career i had uh, a fairly terrible laptop uh with a tiny screen and um a, a a little graphics tablet that was about as big as my hand uh, and I managed to get by on that for a little while so I feel spoilt with my current setup but other colorists would look at it in horror and imagine I was chiseling into a stone tablet um, <laughs> by comparison but uh, it works very well for me so how big is the tablet that you're using um it's kind of the what they call medium um so ah oh, you guys do everything in inches let's 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 inch this <laughs> Hang on. I, I, I can tell you that the space I work on is about eight and a half inches, which sounds like a good number, uh, by uh, about six. So it's enough that I don't get uh, wrist pain, as I, as I did when I had the smaller one. 
Okay. So what do you think about uh, some of the current tablets that are out as a coloring tool, like the Microsoft Surface or maybe an iPad or something like that, or an, or an Android tablet? Well, a, a lot of the, I mean, the, the thing that um, makes a difference, and I mean, I will say, I know, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of colorists who who can quite happily work with a mouse, and I don't know how they do it, but somehow they do it. But for me, the, the key thing is that there's touch sensitivity on it. And with an iPad, it's on or off. There's not degrees of pressure. Okay. Um, so that's quite hard to use. But some of the, um, the, the kind of Windows 8 tablets apparently are kind of working around that or may already have started to work around that. Um, I, I like the idea of, of sort of having a, a tablet to work on directly. Um, I think because I'm not, uh, tra- do, kind of doing traditional drawing where I'm used to having a pen and a pencil and looking where the pen's going. Uh, I've got very used to having my hand off to one side of the screen and, and tracking it with the mono, with the, you know, on the screen. Um, so stepping back might actually be a bit weird for me now, but I, I'm definitely interested. Uh, there's, um, a type of, uh, um, sort of touch, um, digital drawing screen, a bit like the, the Cintiq, which is the super expensive Wacom one that you draw directly onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's a version, there's another company that's, that's making something very similar that's about a third the price, um, which, which I'm sort of eyeing, um, like a, like, like a someone in a metaphor. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'm interested, but I kind of, I'm very much in a groove with the setup at the minute. Have you, have you used a Cintiq? I, the only time I've used a Cintiq was, uh, San Diego Comic Con this year. They had the whole setup. Uh, and I don't know if, if they were kind of badly calibrated or, or whatnot, but I, I, I actually found it quite, there was quite a lag. Not, not a massive lag, but a distracting lag between the sort of the time I pressed the screen and the time, you know, it would appear. And it, you know, it only needs to be a fraction of a second to be, well, to involve a bit of getting used to. But that's the only time I'd love to actually borrow someone's Cintiq, um, and never return it. Um, but, um, but to have a go on it, cause they're, they're such an investment. They're, they're, they're quite pricey, um, bits of kit, but. I know the Microsoft Surface Pro tablets have the, um, Wacom te- technology built in. I think, yeah, they, apparently they all were capable of it, but there was some driver thing. This is very exciting. Uh, there was some driver, uh, that they needed to have added to them for, for a touch sensitive pen, uh, to work, which I, I think it now does work, but. I don't know. All right, so um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the the works that you've done. I uh, we know that you mentioned that uh, you you're more interested in writing, and is that would it be fair to say that's your first love, or is that? Uh... Yeah, um, I mean, like all, like most people, I started out writing uh, erotic fan fiction involving <laughs> Kirk, involving Kirk and Spock, um, <laughs> but but set in the Victorian era. Um, Go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kirk, this isn't logical. Breathed Spock. No. Um, the, <laughs> no, it's it's a different podcast. It's a very different podcast. Um, yeah, it's write, writing's um, sort of very much where I started, um, and I, I mean, I still write now. Um, the the sort of the coloring, particularly the last couple of years, has has been very busy. Um, that it, that it has reduced my, my writing output to, to a very, 
small proportion of, of where I'd like it to be. Um, but I, I kind of tend to use my coloring in as a writer. Uh, cause with coloring kind of, I'm trying to tell the story in a way that kind of emphasizes the writer's intent. Uh, so I think I've told this story before, but probably not to you guys with, uh, the first, everyone's read the first six issues of Regen. Well, Yoshi hasn't. Not read the first no. six. Oh I, no. I'm, I'm, I, st- you know, once I realized that Regeneration <laughs> One was coming out, I just picked up my first issue of Marvel and I've started from ground oh, okay. zero. Uh, what I'll say then, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, going to leave out characters' names. Um, but, but basically, that it, at the end of the first arc, I knew that there was a confrontation coming between two characters. Um, and throughout the course of the, the story, I always had, there was always Red Sky, uh, whenever Megatron was there. And whenever Megatron was getting closer, you'd start to see red bleed into the sky. Uh, and then at the end, just before sort of the big confrontation, there were, I started to pepper in gray and storm clouds, uh, because I knew there would be a point in the story where there would be a fight and a decision made. And at that point, all of the color bleaches out and it just becomes more or less black and white to kind of mirror the emotional state of the character about to make a decision. Uh, and then I also knew I needed it or wanted it to rain at the end because, you know, Transformers can't cry, but I kind of wanted the, the atmosphere and everything to reflect the emotional state of what was going on in the scene. So none of that's in the script. Um, but it's just one of those things with my writer's hat on, I tend to color from the point of view of how am I telling the story here rather than, or not, well, not instead of, but as well as, you know, what looks better against green. When you're doing something like that, does it, like, do you just do it and then show it to the writers and of the series? Or do you tell them, this is what I'm thinking of doing and, you know, work, work together that way? Um, it's, it kind of, it, it sort of depends. Uh, I mean, Simon has been really generous in allowing me to do, um, you know, to, to, to let me kind of, express and, and and do stuff like that with, with that specific instance um i i said to simon in advance that you know this is what i'm looking to do because at one point we were quite far ahead scripts wise so I, I could kind of plan these things in uh, i mean if he just said i really don't like the sound of that i wouldn't have done it right uh but um i, I think you know again writer's hat on i think it's like well that helps tell the story and get the emotion of it across um, and whether you realize, whether you're actually aware that kind of like the color red's there when Megatron's there or not, hopefully it subliminally is kind of nudging you. Um, but you know, a, a lot of times there's smaller things I, I don't kind of, um, say too much about, but with, uh, issue zero, the, you know, all the different time periods and everything, that was very much, um, me saying, I want to do this. Um, and no one told me not to, um, and I sort of wish they had because of the, <laughs> how hard it was to do. But, um, the result was really great. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was happy with it when I saw it in print, but yeah, it was, uh, that was a deadline. That was, that was fun. And I, and they were techniques I, you know, had never used, uh, for the most part and wasn't sure if they would even work. So it was, uh, that was a bit of a, a challenge, but I, but like with issue zero in, as a example, uh, Hot Rod is always colored in Regen 1 colors, but the scenes that he's in are always colored like the time periods that they're specifically in. 
to kind of emphasize the fact that he's an observer. Um, so he's kind of separated out. And again, whether people notice it or not, that's, that's where my mind goes in terms of trying to make sense of, of the imagery. Um, and the only modern touch in the old stuff is where you see the, the matrix, um, creature screaming. You see, uh, glow, which isn't present, uh, in any of the other flashback scenes. And there's a reason for that. Um, so again, I, sometimes there's little things I'm seeding to say, Hey, this is going to matter later on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You're telling us things. Even, I think we didn't even pick up on that. We looked at regeneration one number zero. So that's awesome. Is this the kind of stuff that they're going to ask you about and put in like the, the collected works or something? Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't know if there's, I, I, I would hope that they will do some sort of expanded, uh, not expanded, but, uh, like a collection. Yeah. Uh, of some sort, uh, you know, uh, my dream of, of, um, you know, of, of, of one sort of about, uh, a, a meter tall, um, that takes three people to lift would be my ideal version, um, that I can sort of have that in my home. But, um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, um, I've, I've started putting little bits, um, on Twitter just because I, I have a little bit more time now than I've had the last sort of 12 months really uh to just be able to say to people hey you know if you're interested in the sorts of things that are uh, happening in in the colors or are interested in my thought processes and the, the little clues and hints and what have you then you know here's some here's some tidbits um so yeah there's there's things like that i try and make people aware of but but it's not hopefully people enjoy this it for what it is you know it's not you know conditional to to, to enjoying it but it, it's just to say there's there's thought goes into it beyond, hey, Grimlock's got a yellow chest. <laughs> uh, which I'm just checking, yes, he does. <laughs> so is there a writer or artist that is uh, easier or harder to work with? Ooh, um, I've not, to be, I've been lucky um, with all the writers I've worked with. I mean, on Transformers, I, I've uh, I've worked with Simon and, and, and ver- to a very small degree, um uh, James just on some fill-in pages. Uh, Simon's, a, you know, is a joy to work with. Um, I've not really had any writers that have been uh, problematic uh, or, or or difficult. Uh, I'd say, with, in terms of of um, artists, um, I don't think they all have their own sort of challenges. Uh, as a colorist, the kind of artwork I enjoy the most is is where the the line work is very open which means I can put color into that space and do what I want with it. Um, the thing with regeneration one, cause it's very, it's got a very particular inking style. There's a lot of black on the page. It's a very traditional thing. So actually the space I can put color becomes less. The decisions I can make in terms of where the lighting's coming from are defined by the inks. So the less of that there is, the easier it is to, to sort of, it's almost like a cinematographer in a, in a film. You kind of decide where am I going to put the lights? You know, what color lenses am I going to look at this through? And you can have a bit more control. Um, I mean, I, I, it, I very much enjoy coloring, uh, Casey Collar. Um, his work's very open and allows that there's a lot of room to sort of do your thing, uh, in his line work. Uh, but I've, I've only had a few opportunities to work with him so far. Okay. Uh, did you have a favorite of the, of the artists that you worked on on Regeneration One? Like, a- Oh, you I, you can't ask me that. <laughs> you can't ask me that's that's like asking which of your children do you love the most? And the answer is the firstborn. No. Um 
uh, they all i mean to be honest with you uh, growing up um i, I mean i think with, with regen simon Furman is is largely the reason i wanted to write stories of my own um that's the level of influence he's had on me i i, I still remember reading a particular issue of transformers and thinking oh my god this story is i just couldn't have imagined this i one day i want to have a comic book that someone opens up that I've written and they go, wow, in the same way. And uh, uh, Andy Wildman was my artist. You know, everyone's got their favourite Doctor Who um, and uh, or probably you may not, actually, because we're not in Britain right now. Um, <laughs> but everyone's got their favourite James Bond. Uh, that's probably slightly more likely that you'll um, have. Um, so, yeah, Andy Wildman was very much an influence and, and obviously Stephen with that, Stephen Baskerville with that as a look and I would definitely, I would kind of copy and trace and try and replicate that. Um, uh, but realized that I couldn't draw, uh, to save my life, which would be quite a strange circumstance to be in where, where drawing was somehow going to save me from a life or death situation. But, um, so I kind of Andy Wildman means prob, you know, probably the, the, the most to me from, from back then. But, you know, the thrill of getting to work on Jeff stuff and, uh, Jeff Anderson and Jeff Senior and Jose Delbo. Um, and, you know, it's, it's impossible. I mean, I got to work with Casey and Nick Roach, who I've kind of dreamt of working with for ages, and I've been blessed to work with Guido as well. I kind of, I honestly, you know, each artist I've had the pleasure of working with has been an absolute pleasure. Um, it's really, really hard for me to pick one, um, out of the two, but I mean, out of the, all of them, it's, yeah. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you're, you're for us as as fans who are not involved in the comics at all you're kind of living the dream for us so you know we gotta <laughs> we gotta ask all we can <laughs> hey I, I gotta i gonna ask i'm gonna ask the question back to you guys of of the artists that have been on uh on on regen one who's been the the one you've enjoyed the most so for me uh i mean when i was a kid uh and of course, you know, I had, I had limited access to the UK stuff until mm -hmm. I got much older. But, uh, you know, after I think it was like issue 54 or so, Simon Furman came onto the book and he brought in, uh, Jeff Sr. Mm -hmm. and Andrew Wildman. And, you know, both of those guys were, were another level of art for me for the old comics. And, and Jeff Sr. in particular had a special place uh, in my heart. And on Regen 1, uh, uh, between Andrew uh, Wildman and Guido Guidi, they're, they're, both their stuff is great, but I think Guido Guidi edges it out just a little bit for me. So that's okay. an honest answer. <laughs> no, that's, I, I expect nothing less. I, I have got you all hooked up on a polygraph, so I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> I think with my, my, uh, favorite is probably Guido as well. It, like, I've enjoyed his stuff in some of the other books, particularly where they did flashbacks mm. in the, the old style. I mean, like, uh, I think it was, it was the one of the annuals annual. they did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then when I saw some of his stuff on region one, it just, it translates so well. Cool. Uh, for me, I would have to say, um, of the, uh, the consistent artists, um, my favorite has been, been Guido. Um, the, uh, although w when the book first started and I saw, uh, Wildman's art again, um, I was a, astounded that he had, had kept the he had kept the style up and it was it was just so good still but uh, but guido's been fantastic for me now of the artists that have been doing you know uh intermittent covers and whatnot mm -hmm. um uh casey casey takes it for me I, I love his art cool it's it's i mean i think the thing is it's that they're all 
great. Uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of, when I look back at the last couple of years, because I'm very, very close to the end of, of regen now. Um, I, I honestly, I, I have to pinch myself to think, you know, I never in a billion years, you, you know, thought I'd get the chance to work with, uh, to be honest, I never thought I'd get the chance to work with, with Andy Wildman and, um, let alone Jeff and, uh, um, you know, Jose and, and everybody. It's just, you know, I, I think if I were to tell my uh, eight-year-old self um, what was in store for him, I, th- I, I think I'd, it, my head possibly would have exploded and uh, there'd be a horrible time travel meltdown. Um, <laughs> We'd have another time wars on our hands. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be sucked into the sky piece by piece. All right, so let me turn the tables back because we're supposed okay. to be interviewing you. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just, it's interesting. I, I, you don't get much, you know. It's other than on forums, which are not always the safest place to uh, get feedback. So. Right. <laughs> so, um, so if you got the chance, what comic would you like to write, draw, or color? So it doesn't have to be necessarily Transformers. Anything, uh, anything you can think of. Uh, I, I mean, I'd love to. Um, to write something transformacy um you know in a small way any big way uh, it wouldn't wouldn't matter too much I've, I've had loads of sort of ideas and 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 pitches over the years but the uh sort of you know idw tends to plan things so far in advance um that it's difficult to uh, uh you know if you um suggest something uh or, or think of something of course it doesn't necessarily fit in with the plan um i'd love to write um something star trek um Deep Space Nine, in particular, was my kind of uh, obsessive TV show of choice as a teen. Okay. Um, and I could quite happily write and write and write that, because um, it's one of those things I know the characters quite well. Uh, in terms of colouring, you know, Transformers is um, is a dream book just because I have a lot of love for the characters. Um, but it's really, it, Transformers is, is really, really hard. Um, it's when you draw a, or colour a page with people on, um, you know, you don't have to think about what what color, uh, you know, are is this person's face because you you have you know a, a handful of skin tones to, to choose from. Um, when it when you have um, a transformer stood there, it's like okay, well, um, his shoulders are, are kind of this green color, but there's a yellow stripe on them, and then his chest is purple, but his stomach is like gray. And what color are his eyes? And you you kind of and then you have a page like that multiplied by you know, 30 Transformers, uh, it's, it actually is quite, quite hard work. Um, I'd love to color Spider-Man, Spider-Man or Iron Man or, uh, really sort of anything, uh, in the, in the Marvel pantheon. Cause again, that's what I mainly grew up on. Um, but, uh, I, I kind of, there's, in terms of writing, there's a lot of things that ha- that are not franchises, um, that I would like to write. There's a lot of stuff I have kind of ticking away. Uh, that that would be just stories, um, you know, stories that I want to tell. Okay, so hopefully we you'll get a chance to tell them. That'll be cool. Uh, eventually, it's, I, I've had this plan that that every year for the last three years, I'm like, this is the year that I get that book finished. Um, so this is year four, and hopefully it <laughs> will actually it, it'll start, let alone finish this year. Hopefully. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the comics industry in general. So uh, what do you think about uh, the transition towards a digital or, or, you know, there's a lot of digital versus physical comics. What is, what is your opinion on that in general? Um, I kind of, I, I quite like 
nothing compares to physical comics for me personally. I still like picking them up. Uh, I still like being able to uh, kind of look at them, and you know that I don't know. There's just something about touching it. This it's still the same reason I tend not to read digital books or magazines um, too much. But I will say uh, I don't have a lot of space, um, so I have tended to be buying a lot of digital comics and then purchasing trade paperbacks later on. Um, I think they've they've got you know pros and cons. I I don't have a particular uh, kind of preference. Okay. Where where do you see things going in the industry in the next uh, let's say five to ten years? Do you think uh, like uh, at least with you know with novels and with books, the Kindle has kind of shifted the space a lot. Mm. Do you think uh, things will shift like that for comics? I, I think they will. I mean, I, I think it's I think digital is going to continue to grow. Um, I don't know. I, I think because with comic books, there's a collector's industry. Um, you know, I think if you have a digital copy of a book, you don't have the cover that you might want. You don't get to put it to collect it or display it. Um, I, I think there will always be a collector's aspect. Um, because I think, you know, having a, a, a photograph taken of your favorite Transformer toy that you can look at on your phone is not the same as, as actually knowing that you own it or that you've got it, you know, you can get something signed or, um, or what have you. I, I think there will always be a place for physical comics. Uh, at least I hope so, because, you know, I, I think the comic book stores, you know, have had a difficult time of it. And I, it seems to be at the minute that, the, that there's like a balancing going on. Um, but yeah, I hope that, I hope that both of them continue. In a podcast I listened to recently, they were talking about the same issue. And one of the people was speculating that within the next five years or so, they saw a lot of comic book companies not putting out physical monthly books, but doing just strictly moving to trades mm. and, you know, doing like monthly digitals and then just the physical would go strictly to trade. Do you see something like that in the, the, the future? Uh, possibly. I mean, to be honest, that, that kind of reflects, um, how, how I, um, tend to do it to be honest um I, I tend to get most of mine digital and then and then pick up the trades down the road um i, I can't see any reason why not I, I think there's less risk in producing digital and i think you can you can potentially i guess produce a, a more risky book um because the overheads are less i would I think mean, yeah like with idw we see what they did with like autocracy and monstrosity where they put out every yeah. two weeks a 99 cent book and, you know, it allows them to experiment. I, I mean, I think that will, I think there will be more of that. I, I, I do think that. Um, I, I don't know as well. I mean, I, I think it will come down to the price point. Um, I, I think, you know, a 99 cent, you know, people are used to spending very little to get apps and everything else. Um, so I, I think it will come down to, to the, the, you know, if the cost, the print cost and the digital cost remain the same. I don't know which way it would go, uh, but I think if, if either of those shift, then it might push one one to be preferential to the other. Right. But I think, you know, I'm I'm not anywhere near a comic book shop, uh, so I have to order things off the internet uh, or kind of go and pick up books every two or three months. So it's slightly inconvenient to do it that way, but by the same token, I quite like supporting you know, the, the small businessman and the, you know, the guy that's wants to keep his lights on and has a passion for, for books. So it depends. I, I think not everybody thinks in those terms. So it's convenience is, is a big part of how we live now. So. Yeah. Right. 
So what do you think about uh, kind of the, uh, we're calling it, I guess, the dark side of digital with the piracy. I think this is something that every every content industry has had to deal with. So what do you think about that in general? Um, I I think, I I mean, there's there's no, piracy is, is bad. I mean, ultimately the, the only way of supporting a book or a movie or whatever else, uh, is to buy it. Um, you know, I, I think there are definitely instances where people will say, Oh, I downloaded, um, you know, I illegally downloaded this book or this film and then I went out and bought it. Um, as a result, I wouldn't have otherwise. Uh, I think, you know, I, I don't know whether there's a, there's a case to be made for, for some digital content being made free, uh, to enable that to happen. Um, you know, and I think, Free comic book day is, is a way of doing that. And I think on digital, you know, if they were to say, well, issue one of, you know, Batman from when new 52 started, that's free, which enables you to sort of download legally and make a decision whether you like it and, and take it from there. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, the, it's easy to think, oh, well, Tom Cruise gets paid, I don't know, six million dollars to make a film so he can afford it and Universal makes however much. Uh, but it's when that list of credits comes up uh, at the end and you see there's thousands of people on it, you know, it's, it's the guy who holds the, the microphone and the, the lighting and everything else, um, you know, who potentially, uh, lose out if, if things like that don't make money as well. Um, you know, books are selling generally in lower numbers than they were, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and the amount that a book sells dictates how much you know, the publisher has to pay artists and writers and the people that letter the books and, um, and everything else. So the more that that, you know, cuts away at that, then, you know, it is actually going to have the effect of, of kind of killing, um, the industry. And I, and I think when people complain, uh, you know, oh, every movie is a, you know, it's just stuff blowing up with no substance behind it. it um, it's because of risk, you know, even if you, pirated the the big hollywood blockbuster it's still going to make hundreds of millions if not billions but your smaller film where people think oh well, it's only a small film i'll download it you know it's those sorts of things it's the books that are selling three thousand copies that are the ones that, that that probably will suffer the most um through through illegal downloads can i go on a rant go for it so you know the 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 key grips in a, in a movie, or or even the writers in the movie, are not getting rich off the billions and billions the movie houses are making on a movie. No, um, you. I, I think I think the industry. I think IDW needs to sit back and say, all right, there is a demand for digital. We know this because our books are being pirated more than we can track. So why is it being pirated? You know, there, there's a small, there, there's a fraction of the population that's just going to pirate because they're cheap ass bastards. But the reality is, is they're probably reading the book once, if that, you know, a lot of people just collect to collect. They're not, they're not yeah. reading it. They couldn't tell you anything about the story. Mm. So, so why, why, why would the rest of the segment of the populace be pirating? Well, you're charging one argument would be you're charging the same for digital as you are for physical. And you're telling me I don't have the same rights I do on the digital copy as I do on the physical copy. And you're also saying that the value of this isn't determined by how much it costs you to print on paper. So it's from, from a, from a consumer standpoint, the argument could be made that I'm, I'm being grossly overcharged for a digital version. 
Um, and, and you bring up the point of the independent people. You know, if, if I go to a if I go to an indie rock concert where, you know, somebody doesn't have a label, it's kind of known. You know, if I buy your CD, the band is getting 100 percent of what I'm giving them, which as a consumer, I feel better about. Do you, do you get do you get the argument I'm, I'm making? Yeah, I think I mean there's uh, and and much of this is way beyond any. I mean, you know, I'm I I sit as a as a as a uh, a part of the creative team, and I have no concept or knowledge of how anything works. Right, uh, but you're you in know. the industry, and we we value your input. But um, you know, I don't know how much it it costs to. I don't know what percentage of a book is taken by Comicsology. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, how much is, is, uh, is spent digitally advertising for the electronic version as opposed to the print version. I mean, there's lots of factors I don't know the answers to. Sure. Um, so, you know, the differences might be minor, but the other thing as well is, and I, I think it's, it's, this is where the problem comes is that if you say, okay, well, the digital version of the book is going to be half the cost. Uh, you destroy every comic book shop immediately. Um, I, I think it, there's that there's there's lots of sort of you know I, I think with uh, you know music and uh, and the the change to digital music, um, you know it has been a slower uh, sort of of burn which which got very accelerated when uh, iTunes came into the mix. Um, but even then, you know, it took quite a while before the cost of buying something digital was less. Uh, you know, you, I, I think that the value of things is slightly different, uh, um, over in the States and Canada, but kind of over in the UK, it's, you know, buying a CD is, is uh, practically as cheap as buying the, the digital download. Uh, I don't know if that's quite the same, but, um, you know, I know that I can, uh, kind of buy really the digital versions of movies are not too dissimilar in cost to the physical media versions, but with the physical media, you get commentaries and, and everything else. I, I don't know. I think it's a very complicated issue that I, I don't think... I can understand why there's frustration, but I don't necessarily know that there's a simple answer to it, if that makes sense. It does. But but I know I know where you're coming from. But I, okay. I, I kind of... Uh, I mean, I've got friends who own comic book shops, uh, you know, and I kind of think, well, I don't know. I mean, the, people have experimented. Like I say, I think if there was some aspect of it w- were available freely... Um, that people could try things out without, um, you know, to, to make a decision to buy the rest or if the digital, uh, the physical copies, I know Marvel's done this where you can have free downloads of the book. Um, so you then have, you know, two options, which you, you know, wouldn't get if you just bought the, the digital copy. I don't know. I think people are experimenting. I think people have been very frightened of doing digital, um, for quite a while. And I think it's only really in the last two or three years that, that people are trying to find a way of making it work without sort of destroying the the uh, the industry at the same time. You know, you 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 make you make valid points that nobody nobody knows how to deal with it. I mean, there's you got Game of Thrones that's just you know blowing up because of it. Mm. I mean, HBO couldn't sell enough DVDs if they wanted to. Yeah, um, and I've I've got a I've got a. A completely unresearched theory that if, for example, IDW said we're going to release the the last issue of of uh, Regeneration One for ninety nine cents without any DRM on it, I I would put a lot of money on a bet that would say they would outsell every other comic book released that month. 
if they did that. Um, just because of the novelty of the fact that this is, I think, what consumers want. Um, yeah, it's. I, I think because you'd end up in, a, like I say, in a, in a situation where if if you did that, it might sell more than every other book, but potentially at a loss, and it would also hit the comic book store. Um, like I say, I, I think with a digital to thing it is is a juggling act, and and I don't know. Like I say, I I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I know that you know it saddens me to see torrents of books i've worked on um of books that friends of mine have worked on um you know and i think that that obviously you know people have to vote with their their wallets and you know there's people are straining to to pay for the things they have to pay for in the current climate um but i think that there has been a to an extent since things have gone digital I think people value them less. Um, I, I think because you can download something for free has changed the way people think about how much things should cost. Um, but the cost of making them hasn't necessarily gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't pretend to have the definitive answer on this. And there's probably, it probably is a 50 of one half, uh, you know, sorry, six of one, half a dozen of the other. It's probably the right answer. Well, it's a subject I, I'm really interested in, and I appreciate you appreciate your thoughts on it. Thank you. That's all right. If you need any um, information about spaying or neutering pets, as well, I um, <laughs> I have lots of information and and, uh, and wisdom on that, which is sadly <laughs> something you can't do digitally, um, which is upsetting for me. But <laughs> let's push that envelope, guys. Let's let's think of a plan. We'll have it ready by the end of this show. We'll do a little pup PSA at the end of the show. Abs- yes. And just to, I mean, just to close out the discussion, I do know that uh, on Comixology, a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the comics, they do drop their prices a few months after the books have come out. So, like, if you, if you want to read something that came out, you know, six months ago, you don't have to pay the full price for it. You, you can pay like half price for it. So that at least helps some people who are, you know, maybe they, they see a, a series that they're interested in, but they don't, they, are daunted by getting all the back issues and that's a way to, you know, get the back issues at a, at a cheaper rate and, and jump on to a series. So I don't have to hunt out that rare collection of motorcycle mice from Mars. I can find it on comicsology <laughs> for, for a fraction. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think it's generally like half price. I think. Well, that's pretty cool. I, I think if you look hard enough, there'll be people, there'll, there'll be piles of, of them just in, in refuse bins, uh, across, <laughs> um, the, the whole of uh, North America, if you really need them. What are you saying, sir? <laughs> uh, nothing, nothing at all. Make sure you make sure you have your biker mice uh, spayed or neutered. It's important. For... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. You never believe how you use a motorcycle to do it either. But that's another story. That's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. All right, so let, let's let's bring the discussion back around the Transformers. <laughs> okay, that's probably so, wise. <laughs> so how did you first get into transformers uh well do, do you mean it, it working on or just liking it no just liking it like uh, i i imagine you were a kid back in the 80s like the rest of us and yes yeah um i again i pretty much re- just think of transformers I, I can remember begging my parents to either get me a optimus prime or a megatron toy uh, i must have been watching the cartoon uh, I've got very, very hazy memories of watching the cartoon. But the toys, I just thought, were amazing. I loved robots. I loved planes and cars and 
you know, and the fact that it was both, that that's, you know, that still amazes me to this day, uh, that that's even possible and that someone could think about how that was made. Um, and so the, the toys were kind of my first love, uh, more so even than the cartoon or, or, or I got into the comic a little bit later. Uh, but then I started in the UK, our numbering was very different and we had a lot of different stories in the comic, but the comic and Transformers, the movie sort of defined what I think of Transformers as being. Uh, and I loved, you know, the comics, um, just of, of all the comics I, I collected as a kid, Transformers was, was by far the one that I just thought, you know, this is such a good tale. Um, you know, a lot of other tie-in books were terrible. And Transformers is like, I can't believe I'm reading a story about, about they, the, you know, they have a god and he's kind of not actually, you know, for, for a god, he's actually a bit of a dick. Um, <laughs> you know, and all this mythology. And I was like, cause the, the standard robot thing is, oh, someone built them and they went mad and they killed their creators. And, and I was kind of thinking, this is, I can't, this is just so, I don't know. It just blew my mind in terms of, of, of the sorts of stories that you could tell and time travel and all the science fiction things I was enjoying. Uh, generally, so so for me, Transformers has always been the toys uh, and the comics. Um, so I cannot remember a time where I was not not into it, and I've never I've never dipped out of Transformers or loving Transformers. Yeah, I I just recently got uh, the uh, the um, UK Classics uh, series. Uh, ah. Actually, got it digitally on Comicsology, uh-huh. uh, and uh, it mentioned how like. Uh, the comics were like some of the best selling comics for Marvel UK for a while there. And like, were very, just very present throughout the UK for a long time. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it ran, I mean, we had 300 and I think it was 332 issues. Right. Uh, over here, obviously shorter stories and we reprinted some of the U S material. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sold very well. I, I don't think anyone expected it to sell very well. Uh, and I think it's a testament to, just to this day, how unique Transformers is as a toy. There's still nothing quite like it. And I think also the fact that, you know, Hasbro had really, really talented people tell that story that has lived on, you know, to inspire another generation of people to tell their stories. Um, and the fact that the old books are still, you know, people are still as interested and they're still being republished, you know, for what could otherwise just be a toy commercial. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it just, I think Transformers fans, you know, tend to have a level of passion about it that, that isn't always present in, uh, a lot of other, you know, tie in stuff. You just, you don't see people going nuts about Thundercats in quite the same way, uh, or, you know, and I loved He-Man as a kid. Um, but, you know, that sort of fizzled a bit. Uh, but Transformers, you know, is, is the 30th year this year and it really hasn't stopped. Right. So. I think it's a testament as to how many times they can just basically reset the brand into like, you know, it went into Beast Wars and then it went back to, you know, the traditional and they're always just kind of reinventing themselves. Yeah. I mean, and I think people enjoy different, different bits. I, I, I kind of, um, I loved Beast Wars, uh, which I never expected to enjoy. Um, because I, you know, I saw the pictures of what I thought to be Optimus Prime as a monkey. I thought, no, no, that's disrespecting everything I've come to love. <laughs> wow, wow. If there'd been forums in those days, I'd have probably torn them apart with my, with my rants. Uh, but actually, I caught an episode by accident and they're going, wait a minute. They're on the arc. 
and the Transformers are there, and it's set on Earth, and what? It all ties in, and oh my god, this is the best thing in the world, and how can I watch more of this immediately? Um, yeah, that kind of mem- mirrors how I, I discovered Beast Wars and got into it. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, Beast Wars Megatron blowing Optimus Prime's face off was the first thing I ever saw of Beast Wars. And I'm like, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Count me in. Um, so yeah, I, I think everybody, you know, people will have grown up, they'll have some people have grown up with animated or the movies or, you know, I, I remember being stood in the, in the, in the line to see the first Transformers movie and seeing people my age stood with their kids. And I kind of thought, you know, this movie isn't necessarily going to be for me, but how exciting is it that there's a whole another generation that is going to get excited by Transformers, you know, maybe in a different way, but you know, that it's still going and it'll, you know, I, I can't see it not being around in another 30 years. And that's, that, that is rare. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's something that's defined all our childhoods and adulthoods and now it's defining our children's <laughs> lives. Too, yes. So. There's a whole generation of, of people our age who, if they hear the touch, We'll, imi- we'll immediately start thrashing their heads around doing fake power cords. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's shorthand for awesome. So, uh, what is your favorite character to color or draw? Uh, to color, Optimus Prime, because I always know where all of the colored parts of him are. Um, so I like it when they're nice and simple. Um, uh, so <laughs> he's always my favorite. Uh, Grimlock's another one I quite enjoy. Um, and I've spent a lot of time with, um, Hot Rod. But in terms of my favorite character, I love Optimus Prime. I know that's the sad person's answer. Um, <laughs> to go with, hey, who's the one that everyone, even if they've never seen Transformers, could name? But I just, it, uh, in the movie and in the comic books, I just, I thought he was just, you know, prepared to set his own life to one side to, to do the right thing, and he was kind of very... I was attracted to... Lots of people love Decepticons and the bad boys and everything. I was very... Uh, I, I quite liked righteous people. People who struggled but always did the right thing and were prepared to lay down their lives for it. And I thought, that again, that's quite... The fact that Prime did actually die was quite um, epic to me as a child as well. That they'd actually take it to the point of not just going, yes, you know, you should live a good life and eat your vegetables and make sure you spare and neuter your pets... Um, but actually that, 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 you know, he followed that through, you know, and was willing to die for it. Um, so that, again, I elevated that beyond just being, you know, now I'm a truck. Um, but I, in terms of toy and, and sort of joke, wheeljack, I loved wheeljack. Um, I, uh, I will say that the cartoon version of him, uh, I much prefer to the toy, um, because the cartoon one had a face. Um, and, and limbs that made sense. But, uh, but Wheeljack for some reason always, uh, uh, appealed to me. Oh, so you must be pretty excited for Masterpiece Wheeljack, uh, coming out. Oh, yes. Uh, I haven't actually dipped into the new, the new sort of smaller masterpieces yet, but I'm making an exception for, uh, for old Wheeljack. <laughs> I think the Dr. Smooth version of Wheeljack has made me love him even more. Uh, if you've seen the animations of, of him, because he's just the foulest, uh, you know, rudest, most unlikable uh, character that there is. Is is that not the uh, the alternators model? No. Um. No, what the the masterpiece the one? Doctor, no, no, the Doctor oh, Smooth one. It, smooth. It is. Yeah. The, it's more the the revoiced G one cartoon oh, right. versions. 
Um, right, yes, yes. Uh, particularly when he gets quite angry that he's getting the blame for the Dinobots. Oh, uh, okay. I quite like the way he talks to... Um, I can't repeat it, <laughs> because it's quite... There's bad <laughs> words involved, um, but the way he talks to Ratchet and that is, uh, amuses the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a link. There'll be a link somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we'll dig it up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find it and, for you. And it's it's okay to, to use bad words. We're a... We're an adult podcast. Oh, so. why didn't you <laughs> fucking <laughs> say so? <laughs> They're a podcast that has me. <laughs> I've been holding in all these swear words this whole time. <laughs> I wanted to give this illusion that British people are all well-spoken. <laughs> but now I'm going to go all out. I'm going to use the word flaps, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to know when there'll be a Transformer called Flaps. That's all I'm saying. We've had skids. I think it's only a matter of time. We had Mudflap. <laughs> Oh uh, yes, movie. yeah. Let's not <laughs> let's not dwell on that. Uh, I think I think since they're getting rid of slag as a name, you're probably out of luck. Yes, yes. I didn't think the word slag meant anything to anyone outside of the UK either. It doesn't. So, it doesn't. Yeah. It does. Oh right. Oh, it, it's just like scrap metal. Okay. Yeah. That's. I, I still think that should be fine. But there we are. He'll always be slag to me. He's slag in Regeneration One. Um, yeah, I was watching for, an for another few weeks. Of, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching an episode of Animated today, and they even had a joke there where, like, I think it was Snarl, and sorry, I was like, you named him Snarl? And he's, he was like, well, he took offense to the word slag. Ah. So, even back then when they were working on Animated, it was an issue. I see. I didn't know that. Um, didn't they always have one Dinobot missing in the cartoon? Wasn't there always four or something? That was in the movie. Oh, in the movie. In the 86 okay. movie, yeah. Snarl. Snarl. Snarl is missing in the movie. Oh. Uh, he yeah. is. He is in there. He's in there for like one scene, <laughs> and he doesn't say anything. Yeah. The, uh, the the spot where the Decepticons are attacking uh, Earth, the Earth base, uh, um, after the big attack, and you know, Blaster and Ultra Magnus are putting the city back together and stuff like that. He's in. He's in that scene very, very briefly, and uh, that's it. That's all he's. <laughs> Yeah, I God, think we're a bunch of nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let, let me just let me just turn the level up. I think there's also a scene where you can see the back of his head when the when they're in the Quinnison ship and they're landing on the planet of junk. Very briefly, you can see the bl- the back of Snarl's head with the Stegosaurus uh, spikes there. Oh yeah. I, okay, I've got I've got to ask: <laughs> do, do any of you know what the outside world looks like? Because <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> well, um, we're gonna bl- I'm gonna blow your mind. We're all married. Oh my goodness! Do you know what? That that is it. Yeah. Now, when you say married, it's it's not to to uh, something that looks like like that's been shipped we're, in a box. We're we're no. all we're all married to human women. Oh, okay, that's that, right. Thanks for clarifying. We're alive. Yeah, and we could we could probably all say that we married above what you deserve. Yeah. Oh yes, P- punching yeah. above your weight. I think is the uh, um, yeah. I, uh, interestingly, and and in fact, with all of that information, I'm probably going to uh, uh, raise my nerd quotient by saying, "I married the uh, woman that worked in the comic book shop that I used to get my Transformers comics from." Wow! Yeah. Awesome. Uh, who's largely responsible for me getting into comics in the first place because I, I got involved in that group as a result of that. Nice. So well, she can't complain about you know any comic buying habits you have. Oh. This is, in fact, she's worse than me for that. So that that's good. <laughs> she actually tends to buy and read more than I do. Um, so, but um, you've and, just set the bar. <laughs> I, I know. I, I I know how lucky I am. Um, and uh, and when I said I quite like a cabinet full of transformers in our living room, 
She was just like, yep, fine. Score! <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Take that. Um, so, yeah. Did you get a bigger discount at the store? I did. I did. Uh, was Good. that a euphemism? Uh, because. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because in, in, in whatever you meant and the other thing, yes. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, yes. So, um. Very good. Where were we? Good. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's, let's get back to yeah. regeneration one. <laughs> The editing is going to be long and hard on this episode. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm not touching. That's what she said. Yeah. Okay. You- oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so how much time do you usually uh, take to work on a typical regeneration one issue to do all 22 pages? Oh, um, I. Oh, it, it's a, it's a difficult. Um, one for there to be a simple answer to this. It, I, I take as long as the time that I'm given. Uh, sometimes I, I'm given, uh, you know, <laughs> 10 days. Uh, and sometimes, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a month. Um, so I, I mean, the, the time it takes to do a page varies. I mean, probably the swiftest I've, I've done one has been. I don't know, sort of uh, just just shy of three hours, but most of them are a lot longer than that. Some of them, particularly in the beginning, um, you know, have taken me upwards of 12 hours to do a page just because of the complexity of what's going on or if there's a lot of back and forth about, you know, um, uh, particularly in the beginning, there was a lot of back and forth about, about what modern techniques I could use without making it look too modern. Uh, so, you know, there was, there was a lot of umming and ahhing about, about, um, what, what would work best. Um, but yeah, the, the truth is, it, you know, given as much time as possible, I, I will put every, every hour I can into, into a page until I'm happy with it. Uh, I mean, with, uh, issue zero, uh, I ha- had a deadline that was a week shorter than I thought I had. Um, so I think I had to do all of, the Nick Roach pages, all of the Jeff Anderson pages, and uh, Casey's two pages in the space of about four, four or five days, uh, and that was in techniques, particularly with the Marvel UK style colours on Jeff Anderson stuff. I didn't even know if I could do that before I started doing it. Um, so that there are things I I, I wish I'd had that an extra week because there there are and and no one has ever said hey you. Uh, you could have done better on some of those pages, but, um, there are things on, on Nick's pages I would have loved to have had a little bit more time, um, to, to just, just add the odd little bit here and there. But these books need to come out and they need to be on the shelf. So, um, if, if, if I don't finish them, you can't buy them and that causes problems for everyone. So. Yeah. Like I said, the, the end result was, was amazing for me. So. You know, I I thank you for for all the sleep you missed in those in those few days. Uh, you're you're very welcome. I, I will say thanks. Thank you very much to all of you for the, the kind words about uh, about issue zero. So I, it it made all the struggle worthwhile. We we went through a a fairly uh, lengthy process to get ourselves a, yes. a special edition version of it. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still I'm still waiting. Uh, for, uh, for mine. So I should, they should, I should be having some soon. But yeah, it's, um, I hope it looks as good in print as, as, as it does in my mind. But, uh, um, looks fabulous. Good. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> yes. 
So um, every issue of the original Marvel U.S. run was colored by Nell Yamtov. Yes. Uh, have Have you ever had a chance to meet him or talk with him? I've not. I, I did try and uh, track uh, track him down and, and sort of sent him a message, just kind of saying, um, really, to be honest, how much I appreciate what he did. Um, I, I think a lot of people have, have kind of uh, view what he did like with certain block colors and things like that as being mistakes um rather than kind of choices to to kind of have uh certain things pop to the background or what have you by having them all a block color i mean modern coloring techniques still use aspects of that but it it's a bit more kind of subtle but you had limited colors available to you back in those days but i think going back and and doing the research that i did for um for doing issue 0 uh and also when I did Regen 1, because before we started, uh, you know, there was a lot of discussion as to whether it would look completely old school, like the way Greedo was going to do the covers, um, if it was going to be completely modern. Uh, so I spent a lot of time looking into to how he did stuff and trying to uh, kind of keep his colour choices, uh, but change them where there was a logical reason to change them. So Soundwave, in the 20 years from the old book and the new one, had had a blue paint job to replace his purple paint job and things like that. So there, there had been some changes where we could explain it. But sadly, I've never met uh, Nell Yomtov, although obviously he holds the record for the most consecutive Transformers issues without anyone filling in for him. Um, and I was told a couple of issues ago that I, I'm now the second... Uh, in second place for the most number of consecutive without anyone filling in or or a break. So I just need Regen 1 to go for another 60 or 70 issues <laughs> and I can break that record. I can shatter it. But um, so far, no one's returning my calls. <laughs> so um, can you take us through the process of doing all the different coloring styles for Regeneration 1, number 0? I mean, we touched on it a little bit, but Sure. How did you how did you match you know each section to the artist styles and era? Um. Well, the first thing I did was I um I I scanned in uh certain issues of the old book. Uh, I scanned in some Target two thousand six from the UK book, and I scanned in some um uh some of the now Yomtov pages, uh, and I had some reference pictures for animated and different things. Uh, to, to be able to look at them really, really, really close up because the, you know, that, that, those little, um, bende dots, those zip tone dots need to be a certain size for it to look authentic. Um, and also just to make certain decisions as to how, um, to see how Yomtov did certain things. So, you know, it's not necessarily a solid purple that gets used, but an overlay of blue and red dots very close together. That produces a different look, um, to something else. Um, and with those, the Jeff Senior and, um, Jose Delbo ones, I only used, um, mixtures of the colors in 25% because that's more or less what they had. Uh, so I tried to forbid myself from using any colors that couldn't have been used at the time. Um, oh, okay. uh, so for the most part, there's there there's very little in there which which couldn't have been done at the time. Um, so my uh, what I will say is my original plan for the book was the Jose Delbo pages because they were set in the nineties. I wanted to do them image comic style, 
and I wanted to do it with that really, really over-the-top, super shiny skin tone stuff where everything's got a highlight on it. Um, you know, it's it's kind of slightly vulgar looking, uh, but I wanted it to look like 90s comics, but the way it was inked was much more classical, and that style of colouring wouldn't have worked, so I decided to keep that in a similar kind of style. Um, but I did want it to look like I don't know X Force or something from the from the nineties. Um, look and make it look Rob Liefeld licious. But um, uh, yeah, so um, that was it. And again, um, I, I tried to stick to color choices that were uh, similar. So when you see the chap dying over the the coffin uh, in issue zero, and you've got Optimus Prime lying there, uh, that is you know exactly matched to that page in the comic all of the colors in there are identical all the, the the style of it is exactly the same um and like i say hot rod is is the odd man out in it throughout um but um so those two are kind of similar the, the jeff anderson one uh was the one i didn't know if i was going to be able to pull off when i started um but that i that was um done digitally um but I obviously wanted it to look as watercolor as possible um, to give the kind of airbrush, hand-painted feel that Marvel UK had. Um, that w- it was sort of my... I, I, it was my gift to, to the Marvel UK fans because obviously the Marvel UK continuity uh, was kind of... It isn't part of region. Right. Um, so that was my little sort of uh, love letter to us Brits. Um, and... Um, yeah, so that that was quite hard. It took quite a while to get a texture to it that felt like it was paper, like it had been, you know, uh, scanned from a from a sheet of paper that had been hand painted. Um and um the Nick Roach section uh I wanted to make look like the animated movie. So the what tends to happen in animation is the background cells are painted, so you don't tend to see too many black lines. So most of the backgrounds in that, the line work has been painted out or, or changed to a color that's not black. And the only thing that is, that's got black lines are the characters in the foreground. Uh, and I l- looked at stills from the movie to see how the rendering was and how they did the gleam and the shine. And they didn't tend to do highlights very much. It tended to just be sort of kind of streaks of a darker color. Um, so I, I tried to keep that as consistent as possible. Uh, as well. Um, so I, I had quite a lot of reference. Um, but I, I really wanted to make issue zero feel like an event book because it, you know, all of those people working on, on that book, I, I just sort of felt deserved, a, um, something beyond, uh, the norm, uh, you know, my usual or, uh, because the styles were different. I wanted to try, uh, different styles as well. All right. Um, so just another, uh, a little thing I noticed in Regeneration 1 is you colored a Perceptor's face in kind of a half blue tone. Yes. And we just recently, uh, looked through the, uh, Return to Cybertron, uh, story in issue number 17 of Marvel Transformers. Oh. And that's, that was the first time they showed Perceptor in the comic and he had that kind of half blue, uh, face coloring. Was, was that where you drew it or was that, was that, the the reference for that or was it just a coincidence it's well a lot some of the reference for regen comes from the transformers universe guide the kind of the a to z 
of the Transformers book, um, which used that, uh, appearance, that look. Um, so with all the characters in Regen, their looks were pulled from lots of different sources, from the toy, from how they looked in Marvel, um, US, how they looked in Marvel UK, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, Andrew drew, um, his appearance very much like, uh, from the reference guide where he has got the li- uh, physical line uh, on his face. Um, and so I kept the blue. I mean, on the actual uh, toy, he's got a, a mouthpiece, which is kind of like the allusion to that. Um, so that was done half and half, uh, for that. Um, yes. So no, it was, it was designed on his Marvel U- US appearance where he does have that, but not specifically that issue, but, but from the Marvel guides. Okay. okay. Uh, are there any, uh, future Transformers projects that you're on after Regeneration 1 ends in March? Um, I have something that I will be working on, but nothing that I can say anything about. Okay. Uh, it might be, it might be the adventures of, uh, a spaying Megatron. Um, <laughs> I can't, I absolutely can't talk about it. I can't talk about it, but it may involve, um, uh, a Megatron, um, spaying and neutering pets using a fusion cannon, but I cannot talk about it. <laughs> I would pre-order the hell out of that thing. <laughs> um, letters to Hasbro, please. Um, yes. We'll get to see exactly how precise that fusion cannon can be. It's, it, it depends which mode he's in uh, as to how well it goes, to be honest. But again, I can't say any more. You know, you just have to support the book when it comes out. Uh, so I don't know if you have any input on this, but I've noticed just the latest... Uh, the storyline that's coming to a conclusion with Regeneration 1 has brought kind of elements of the Underbase into the story of Geaxis, which uh, the Underbase, at least in my mind, sticks out as kind of the last major story that Bob Budiansky did before he left uh, the Transformers comic. He had, he had a couple issues after that, but that was like his, I guess, his swan song and also, you know, his way of clearing the decks for all the mm-hmm. new toys that were coming out. Um, so did, did, have you uh, heard from Simon about any? Anything about why he chose to to weave that in to the end of the story? Um, I, I, first of all, I'd like to come out and say that apparently MicroMaster Wrestling is is not you haven't considered as one of the top <laughs> the, the big events, which is interesting. I, I think you've given yourself away there. Um, uh, he he kind of not really said anything to me specifically about it, but I, I think um, you know Simon is was looking to to have you know the end touch on all points you know it's not just the end of simon's run he is concluding you know all of it um so i think you know the underbase was a huge story um and i think the fact that uh you know starscream is still around and was affected by it um you know is uh is something that that had the potential to be touched upon uh and uh the fact that um you know, for people not to know about who Gehexus was, uh, involved, uh, and the underbase being a receptacle of all kind of knowledge, it, they, they, it probably just naturally, uh, kind of came together. Um, so, and you'll see the culmination of that in 99. Wink. Um, because <laughs> I realized that if I actually winked, no one could see it. So I thought I'd say it. Wink. <laughs> That, that that's a good use of the medium. <laughs> Thanks. Hashtag go team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, 
where does your uh, online handle wordmongerer come from? So I'm guessing you're not a warmonger, so... No, uh, it, it was my fascination with, with the fact that you could be a warmonger and a fishmonger. Uh, I don't know what war and fish have in common, but you can be a wordsmith and a blacksmith and like a greengrocer and things that, and I just thought, well, why, why can't you have, you know, a word grocer, uh, or a, a warsmith? And, uh, I just thought, well, as I'm a writer, does that make me a wordmonger? Uh, and I, I tried to use wordmonger and it was already taken. So it became wordmongerer, which, ah, okay. which I've now said so often that I think it's a real word. And I have to think whether there should be two sets of ER at the end of any word that ends ER. Uh, whereas you would look at it and go, hey, that's how a mad person writes. I'm looking at it going, <laughs> wordmonger, doesn't that make perfect sense? Um, so yeah. So that, that's, yeah, it's, and obviously that exists, that predates before I ever touched colors. Uh, so, you know, I have thought about colormonger and things like that, but it, it's, I'm not sure if that translates quite as well or whether people might, might take it to mean something else entirely. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yes, wordmongerer has stuck. Cool. So, um, do you have any plans to attend any of the major conventions this year? So, BotCon, TFCon, or Auto Assembly? Uh, well, SpayCon um, in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, is a good one. Um, I, I, I definitely intend to be. Uh, uh, I intend to be at Auto Assembly. Um, whether they're aware of that or not, I, it's hard to say. Um, the I would love to do BotCon uh, this year. I, I've. I'd love to do TFCon. I'd love to do. I always have to say this right. Shartacon? Is that right? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Excellent. Um, I'd love to do all of them, but at the moment, there's no, there's no plans to do any US, uh, or Canada, uh, cons, sadly, just because of the, the expense of getting there. But, um, I kind of love Transformers cons, all of them for very different reasons, but, but sadly. And I do mean sadly, I get genuinely depressed when I get hear stories of how amazing a time everybody else is having. And I'm like, no, I'm sat here at my computer coloring away and everybody else is having fun without me. Um, so I tend to send packets of white powder to, you know, people in the, <laughs> people, people that I care about just so that they, you know, they have horrible times whilst they're there and then I feel better about myself. Um, but no, there's always Spacon. Bacon. <laughs> yes, that's no, true. Spacon. Spacon. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Spacon. Uh, I don't know what activities are planned, but um, <laughs> I, I could guess. <laughs> I, I know they want me on stage, uh, but I don't know what they're going to. I'm not sure if I'm doing something or they're doing something to me, but um, uh, it'll be interesting. Either way, it's going to be life changing. I'm sure. <laughs> you um, you were pretty active when you went to uh, Malta this past year for for their convention. Um, I was interested in your. Uh, in your tweets and stuff like that, because my, my mother was born in Malta and I've never ah. been there. How was it? It was great. Um, and when you say active, I did worry precisely what you meant for a second there. <laughs> uh, I'd like to assure my wife that, uh, I, I was, it was just the artwork. Um, the, <laughs> it was great. Uh, it, it's a very, um, what I kind of like, it's, it's a smallish sort of con relative to, you know, some of the, the conventions I've been to. Um, but there's so much passion there. Like there is not one person who's involved in it uh, that isn't, um, you know, completely about the love of comics, um, you know. And it's, it's, I don't know. It just had a very different feel to it than 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 a lot of really huge shows. 
the Maltese people were <laughs> some of the nicest uh, people that I've ever met. Um, just very inviting, very welcoming, very helpful, very passionate about comics. Really, really uh, appreciated, you know, the fact that something like this exists. The support for the con was was immense. Um, and the guys there really looked after everybody, you know, kind of took us around Malta and showed us some things and stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm half Italian and, and Malta's got a lot of, uh, Italian influence. So it's kind of, it's very odd because it's very similar yet different at the same time. What's the, uh, what's the Transformers scene down there like? Uh, it's really good. I mean, there, there was quite a lot of, um, of Transformers love, uh, going on. Um, there was a, a few people in particular who, um, loved it to a degree that I haven't, I haven't previously experienced, and that's including Botcon, uh, and <laughs> AA and everything else. Um, no, they, I mean, they're, they're quite passionate about, about comics generally, and, um, and, you know, that the amount of knowledge they had about everything, you know, more than meets the eye and, uh, regen and, um, uh, you know, the Marvel stuff and all the cartoons and, even you know fan fiction they couldn't couldn't get an, enough um so that was that was nice it was nice to have you know otherwise i'd have been sat there um you know pretending that i um worked on i don't know archie comics or something in the hopes that someone would come yeah. over my little pony well, sorry <laughs> um i don't know if they they were as as uh happy to see you as as i was uh last year at tfcon when when you uh, when you produced the the colors on my Casey Collar sketch, um, if you remember doing that for me at TFCon, that was uh, you guys. You combined with Casey blew my mind last year. Uh, uh, yes, it was. It's hard to forget. I, I, that that I have to say was much much harder <laughs> um, than uh, than I thought it would be when I first started it. Um, but it was um, it was so different, and I think um, I'm not even sure Casey had ever drawn. Uh, Wolverine before, uh, which is hard to believe when you see his picture. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had a tremendous amount of fun uh, doing that cover, and I did it quite different than I usually you did would. did a very good job, that's for sure. Thanks. Um, you did so quickly, I was very, very impressed. It's uh, it's the one thing which, um, which a, a colorist is forced to do, uh, because the l- let's say uh, the first of this month uh, the is the beginning of when an issue should be started, and the end of the month is when it's due. If the artist, if the writer hands in the script late, the end date doesn't change. Mm-hmm. If the penciler or inker hands it in late, the deadline doesn't change. So sometimes you're left at the end with very little time to get it done in. Uh, yeah. So you you kind of learn that it's <laughs> you you have to be able to be very quick at times so at conventions yeah. i have to be uh fairly quick I, d- I don't think i slept a lot at tfcon uh <laughs> and i don't think i slept a lot i think i slept even less at botcon um sleep is uh is something that eludes me quite a lot to be honest <laughs> that's for the plane yeah uh yeah or or you know for an hour or two whilst driving uh <laughs> You know the the roads to Las Vegas, you know, uh, uh, from California, they're just long. You know, there's nothing out there. No, what could possibly go wrong? That's what cruise control is for, right? <laughs> well, I saw Rob Liefeld inking a page of comics whilst driving, so it, you know anything's possible. I'm not joking either. I'll, I'll, if you haven't seen that, I'll send you the link. <laughs> 
is probably doing a pretty good job mm-hmm. <laughs> too. He's he's so good. Some, some of his best work. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's so good. He's in, he's filming himself whilst inking whilst driving. So and they say men can't multitask. So there's proof there, ladies. That we you know. Um, I'm calling you guys ladies. By the way, that was my insult. I don't know if you got that. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's okay. It's fine. Uh, so you mentioned you have you have a cabinet full of uh, Transformers. So are you still collecting a lot of the toys? Yeah, not not as much as um as as in the past. But uh, yeah, I kind of um anything G one uh, or G one esque. So the generations type figures, the masterpieces, uh, uh, a definite um, and the reissues. Uh, but I, I kind of don't tend to get much else. Uh, some Beast Wars ones. But I kind of haven't really. I've got barely anything that's prime or animated or uh, anything else along those lines. Um, partly because there's just not enough room or money or time uh, or plastic in the world, I think. To um, uh, but yeah, so kind of my, my my wife's been very accommodating with the sheer amount of my house that's taken over by them. But uh, I always thought I had lots of toys until I went to uh, fellow artists' houses um, and. Uh, like some fans houses and looked at their stuff and thought oh yeah i have nothing <laughs> um so but yeah no to- toys are still the um it's still my my uh plastic crack addiction is still in its uh uh heaviest stages i would say <laughs> so you haven't made it to rehab yet no no i i um i, I hope it's something i never i hope the toys always remain awesome um because uh, I never want to be in a position where I'm not buying them. Um, so, but as long as they keep doing generations and stuff like that, I think they'll always have purchases from me. Awesome. So, if, if you could redesign a character from the ground up, you know, giving them a new alt mode and everything, uh, and robot mode, what would it be? I think it'd be uh, Megatron uh, into a, uh, a spaying gun. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, probably, probably a, a, a Clint five thousand with the um, the captive lock. Um, uh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. I kind of um, I, I've always wanted a uh, a transformer like uh, sort of uh, like an ultra magnacy type transformer where he's got like a car carrier as his trailer, uh, but that using the car carrier and four you know cars that would actually combine into something. Uh, not like that'd be cool. Oh, Energon was it Energon Prime? You had the sort of the plug-in bits. Yeah, but, I think so. But if the trailer and the cab and the four robots that he could carry all became something, whether that was Optimus Prime or or Ultra Magnus or something like that. So not necessarily a, a specific character, but kind of a, that's one of those designs. I always thought that would be really cool. Nice. And if you could combine Transformers with any other property in a crossover, do you, do you have any ideas on that? What would you like to do with that? Um, I, I think tra- sort of crossovers uh, uh, kind of don't always work for me. Um, but there, I, as I said before, I'm a big Star Trek fan. I'd love to see certain Star Trek starships be uh, done as Transformers. Uh, the the USS Defiant. Uh, in Deep Space Nine, I would love to see as a, as a robot. Um, not only because they, the, in Beast Wars, they actually used the Defiant 
as the basis for the Ark. Uh, I'm not sure if they actually w- uh, stole the design completely, but the front of the ship is exactly like the, the USS Defiant, but done in orange. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, I'd never heard that. Yeah, the uh, the the sort of the nose on it is is literally the deflector part of the USS Defiant, and the general shape is kind of the same, uh, but just a different color. So I um I kind of like that, and I think there's there's almost precedent for it in there. But um I can't think of any logical way a story could unfold involving Star Trek and Transformers. I just like the idea of the toys. Um, but yeah, nothing. Really. Let's let's say Transformers and House. That's a nice uh, combination. <laughs> that make no sense whatsoever. Let's have that happen. Seri- so Ratchet and House get together on a case? Yeah, actually, IDW, Ratchet and House, I think we'd probably get on like a house on fire. <laughs> house could hop in, he wouldn't have to work the pedals, he could get sent different places, and they could just both be grumpy. be amazing. Um, I'd, let's, let's make it happen. Uh, I'm all, all on board with that. Yeah, so there we are. That's my genuine answer. Their first house <laughs> call is a spade call. But yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, house, he becomes a vet, and it all works out. <laughs> um, yeah, I think probably probably that. All right, well, uh, we'll eagerly await your next pitch to <laughs> IDW. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I haven't got a break yet. It's strange, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, so, uh, that, that brings us to the end of our, uh, our interview questions, but we do have another, just a set of quick questions we call rapid fire questions. So okay. these are things we just hit you. There's like, you know, one or two choices and you just tell us quickly, uh, what your answer is just to get a sense of, of who you are basically. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we'll start off uh, Autobot or Decepticon? Autobot. All right. And I think you already said your favorite is Optimus Prime, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for the modern Transformers movies, which one is your favorite? The first, second, or third? Third. Oh, okay. So you're a Dark of the Moon fan. Yeah. I, I, I actually, yeah, I, 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 I think it's good at what it does. Okay. Uh, Megan Fox or Rosie Huntington Wheatley? Oh my goodness. Um, and I can't pick neither. You can <laughs> if you want. <laughs> um, oh, pr- probably, oh. Let, let's let's go let's go Rosie because no one's going to say that. <laughs> okay, more than meets the eye or robots in disguise. I, I abstain. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, the comic artists never want to answer that question. <laughs> it's again, it's it's like it's it's a Sophie's choice. There's there's uh, I, I I the only thing is I love them equally, but for completely different reasons. So it it sort of depends what day you you catch me on, but I, I don't I, I can't give you a definitive on that. All right. <laughs> uh, third party toys, yes or no? Uh, I think they're brilliant, but I've never bought any of them, so I guess that's a no. Okay. Uh, cats or dogs? Dogs. Coffee or tea? Tea, I guess. Of course. <laughs> I have I have about six cups of tea a year, but that's six more than I do of coffee, so I think it has to be tea. Okay. Plus it goes well, in my smoking drink. jacket and pipe, so. <laughs> uh, chicken or steak? Chicken. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Come on. That's not even a question. <laughs> uh, Burger King or McDonald's? McDonald's. I'm not a classy guy. <laughs> History or science? Oh, um, science. Xbox or PlayStation? See, you did, what? There's no wit Nintendo there. Uh, my, my answer is Nintendo. <laughs> 
So there. Take that, convention. <laughs> Classic or the Wii? Uh... Oh, just anything Nintendo, I'm afraid. I, I, I've got a, I've got a Wii U and a Wii and a SNES, a Super Nintendo and everything. So I, probably a Super Nintendo if you push me. Yeah, that's probably the best one ever. Do you have any of the handhelds? Like, do you have a 3DS? I've got a, yeah, 3DS and a DS and a Advance and Game Boy and. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Call of Duty or Battlefield? Oh, I've, I've played neither, I'm afraid. Okay. <laughs> uh, PC or Mac? PC iPhone or Android? Android. Marvel or DC? Marvel. And who's your favorite Marvel character? It's probably it's probably still Spider-Man, I'd say. After all these years. I love the little bugger. <laughs> Stallone or Schwarzenegger? <laughs> Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson or Angelina Jolie? You've lumped them together just because of their lips, haven't you? That's what's happened here. Um, probably... Probably Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Twilight or Hunger Games? Hunger Games. Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Star Wars or Star Trek? I love them both. Um, Star Trek. Simpsons or Family Guy? Oh, probably Simpsons. Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Uh, again, I've seen neither, but I have read Walking Dead, and I like. Let's say Walking Dead. Okay. Uh, this might be a little bit harder. I don't know if you're into American sports at all. Uh, but, uh, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, National Hockey League, or, uh, National Basketball Association. Um, there was no national, national spaying championships in there, <laughs> uh, which I'm disappointed about again. Um, I, I kind of like the idea of baseball, uh, but I, I American sport, I'm not even into, uh, British sports. So, um, let, let's say baseball. If, yeah. Okay. Why not? Uh, Porsche, Ferrari, or Lamborghini? Ferrari. It's, it's the most Italian of them. <laughs> Blonde, brunette, or redhead? Brunette. There was no other answer I could give, because my wife's a brunette, I hasten to add. <laughs> um, love you. Sorry. <laughs> well, th- thanks. You, you went through the gauntlet with some awesome answers there. So uh, I think that'll uh, we'll, we've, we've come to the end of the interview. Uh, so if people want to buy copies of your work, uh, how can they do that? Um, I, do, I don't have an online uh, shop or anything. Uh, I tend to make a nuisance of myself at lots of cons um, throughout the year. So that that tends to be where the best way. I mean, I'm on uh, Twitter and Facebook and everything else. If, if people have any requests for things like uh, commissions or you know some some sketches they've got that they want colored then they can uh contact me that way but i'm not i'm not the world's most organized in terms of having a huge online presence and multimedia corporation and whatnot (laughs) i'm not google i just thought i'd explain that (laughs) oh that's perfectly fine okay i'm pleased you approve Uh, are there (laughs) are there any other projects that you're working on that you'd like to tell people about um, yeah, I'm, uh, for the UK, uh, listeners, I'm writing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles book, uh, that comes out over here. Uh, I'm one of a few writers on there. Uh, but I think my next issue comes out, uh, it's probably this month now. Uh, no, Feb, probably February. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing that. Um, there's, there's a few things which I can't say too much about at the minute. Um, but, uh, again, if people, people hunt me down on Twitter, there'll be announcements when, when I get the chance. All right. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish the interview? Uh, no, it just, I, I think because I've rambled so much, I just wanted to give you a, a series of options to cut in 
to shorten any of your interview of this later on. So, so I'm just going to go, no, yes. <laughs> so you can now take those two snippets and just, if you need to shorten anything, you just, you just <laughs> pop those in as you need them. I'm thinking of you. That's all. Thank We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, no, nothing other than that. I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has bought a uh, regen that has left nice comments. Um, that has come on this journey with us, really. I, I'm getting a bit, uh, weepy and nostalgic because I'm, I'm very close to the, to the end of it now. Um, but yeah, just uh, the, the support has been, uh, sort of overwhelming, really. That particularly people in person, uh, at cons, uh, a lot of people have come up and said, I haven't read, I picked up a comic, let alone a Transformers comic in since the last Transformers issue came out. And I've got back into it, you know, because of this book. Um, you know, is, is actually, that means so much to hear people say that and to say that they love it. And, uh, you know, and people that say nice things about the colors, um, is I'm humbled every time there's, there's a nice comment. So I, I, yeah, I, I can't thank any, everybody enough, really. Great. And we want to thank you for coming on the show and, and talking with us. It was really great to have you on too. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. I hope you've learned your lesson and won't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Thanks again to John Paul Bove for uh, doing the interview with us. And now we're going to continue on with the rest of the show. And John Paul has graciously uh, decided to stick around with us. So we're going to move on to our toy section. And we always start off the toy section with our toy expert, Daryl. So uh, why don't you tell us what you found this week? Wow, what a nice intro for me. <laughs> um, it's all got- true. um we've got uh unofficial masterpiece swoop now don't get excited it's not actually a masterpiece this is from a company called bulls fire they're calling their figure airstrike but uh in all instances uh this is swoop um it looks fantastic it looks very g1 like really g1 up to the like the chrome wings, the chrome sword, uh, everything. Like this thing looks really, really nice. Lots and lots of mold detail. We're just getting pictures of a um, like a prototype figure right now, but uh, but yeah, it uh, it looks really, really nice. The second image uh, that they have on the site is it's standing next to Masterpiece Grimlock. Now you don't see a lot of the Grimlock figure, but uh, you know, for those of us uh, who who know what the figure looks like, you can tell that that's Masterpiece Grimlock, and you can see that the the swoop figure comes up to his shoulder. So that's about right when you when you you know think about how tall Swoop was in the in the cartoon. Now to the details that we know about this figure so far, this like I said is G1 inspired. It's the first figure from the company Bulls Fire. So take that for you know whatever you want. Because, you know, companies that, when they put out their first figure, they, they don't tend to be the greatest. But then again, if they've got some other companies backing them, um, perfect example is uh, Mech Ideas. Uh, their first figure were the uh, the G1 Jumpstarters, who they named Apex and Geminus. But they had Mastermind Creations backing them. And those figures turned out fantastically. Um, so you never know if Bull's Fire has somebody behind him, then these things, these swoop figures could be really, really nice. Now he's going to be about eight inches tall from his, uh, head to his feet. And, uh, I mean, it doesn't count the wings. Um, he's going to be $200 on BBTS. The pre-order, pre-orders are up. So he's not cheap. 
but that puts him in line with uh, the uh, Scoria figure from Mastermind Creation, or sorry, not Mastermind, sorry, uh, from uh, Fans Toys. So um, that's going to be about 200 bucks as well. So if you want to start getting some Dinobots to put with your um, with your, your Masterpiece Grimlock, then uh, they're out there. Now, speaking of Fan Toys, they actually do have an uh, image that we talked about before, this, uh, this uh, swoop figure that they had teased in their press release for Scoria, which is their slag figure, obviously. So we've got this swoop figure coming from Bullsfire, but also Fans Toys is doing a swoop figure as well, which has just been teased. There's been no prototypes yet. But uh, so we've got really we've got two swoop figures on the horizon. But uh, the Bullsfire one is the only one we've actually got pictures of so far. Uh, what do you guys think of this? How much was Grimlock? Um. Well, I mean, I got Grim my Grim- Grimlock in in Toys R Us here in North America, right? So I paid about uh, sixty bucks, seventy bucks. But uh, he's reissued right now. Um, you can get the, the Asian version, which is reissued, and it's two hundred dollars. Yeah, I think I picked up um mine for around the same price you did yeah yeah it was very important to to get that first release which you didn't think about at the time but you know it uh it turned out to being one of the the, the biggest ones out there does this kind of fit in with your g1 aesthetic yoshi aesthetically it it fits in it i think it it looks amazing i you know nothing nothing is saying that it's it's not going to transform well that it's not going to look or be painted awesome um I the biggest thing that really keeps me from diving into the third party market and it's stupid but it's just uh it comes down to the fact that it's not going to ship with an Autobot logo. Really? Yeah, honestly. I mean, I don't I don't Just the sticker? It's like just the st- just the sticker or the or whatever they would normally do with a masterpiece figure. I mean, it's right. It, it would be like somebody, and this happened to me. It'd be like walking up to a car that looks exactly like the Back to the Future DeLorean and uh, asking if it's if it's the movie one or just a reproduction. You know, which one are you going to want your photo next to? Right. Yeah. That was a horrible Her- analogy. <laughs> That, personally, that wouldn't matter to me. But <laughs> well, it would to me. <laughs> I can't imagine there's a lot of the movie ones left over. But uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of that's a concern that a lot of people have, and we talked about it on uh, on previous shows that there are people out there that just that just don't want third party toys because they don't say Transformers on them, right? So, right. I mean, and that's a legitimate concern. They just these things could be the best toys in the world, but the fact that they're not produced with the word Transformers. Um, anywhere on the box, they uh, they don't want them. And it, it's hard for me as as a novice collector compared to you that to to think you know if this guy does well, Hasbro's going to raise an eyebrow about it. I mean, there, and if it does well and Hasbro raises raises an eyebrow about it, there's going to be a conversation about bringing it over here. And then I'm stuck with a third party one and getting the official one, if you will. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and I know you can put stickers, I know you can make third party things, and I know you've shown where where a lot of these toys are made with a section specifically for third party uh stickers to be put on. Yes. And and this is just a personal hang up I have and one of the mm-hmm. rules I follow when collecting. I, I, I have you know, and if it were a character that is so unpopular that they're not gonna make very many of and the only way we're gonna see it is through a third party. I'm more inclined to think about buying it, like our our Lamborghini driving guy. 
if, uh, mm-hmm. if they made a third party <laughs> of mm-hmm. him, I would I would be yeah. more inclined to buy him because I don't think Hasbro would ever consider that, and they're missing out on a phenomenal amount of funds. Uh, I think right. GI so, Joe Club needs to get on that. Yeah, really. <laughs> I think I think the, they need um, to act. Oh, I was going to say ahead. they need to act fast to make sure that the uh, the Jake Dalrymple trademark doesn't get snapped up by somebody else. I would have thought, you know. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it should be a package deal because it's not a very big figure. So you got Jake Dalrymple and Deer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> comes with spaying hand action. That would be quite. Um... <laughs> it could be Think a limited no. edition version of the masterpiece sideswipe. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we have we haven't talked about that yet. <laughs> 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 That's not our foreshadowing. Problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, uh, now, John Paul, what about like the actual figure? Like you, you say you don't you don't get into the, the third party stuff, but you see stuff like this. What do you think? Well, both. Uh, I mean that that uh, uh, slag, uh, which or not slag or slug or uh, <laughs> yeah. you know uh, whatever we want to call it, um, it is probably one of the nicest toys I've ever seen. Um, and the swoop's pretty awesome as well. Uh, like, I really like them. I don't really know why I haven't bought any third party. I, I, as weird as it sounds, um, it's not sort of with Autobot symbol, but they're not real in a weird, because they're not, that they transform and, uh, they look, you know, pretty much exactly how I'd want them to look. But yet, weirdly, they're not a transformer, uh, to me. It's, mm-hmm. I, I don't really know why it, it feels that way. It's not a particularly good justification, but, I've just sort of thought, oh, that looks really cool, but I I know I'm not going to buy it. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I can't give you a logical reason for it. I, I desperately wish that Hasbro would would make that you know these toys because I would happily buy them. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, and I, I do feel a bit like you know if if there'd been a third party uh, Soundwave that I bought, would I then have bought Soundwave? Uh, you know, it's I, I kind of um, happy to stick to what are in finger quotes real transformers but i know right. i would if someone someone had this toy i would probably salivate over it until it was destroyed um because <laughs> it is a thing of beauty mm-hmm. well that's the 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 discussion that's going on right now is is the level of of engineering in these figures it is it is masterpiece scale and some of them are beyond but the price points are astronomically mm. high, right? So Hasbro and, and Takara even are not are not going to produce stuff like this. It's just it's just too expensive for them. The quality on these figures is there, but the stuff that Hasbro and Takara are producing, their quality is just not up to this level, right? So you have the collector market, which you know is is me and, and you know the the people that pay money conventions and stuff like that who who go to these things and and. And they're going to spend money on these figures that are 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 very articulate, and they're they're producing the the figures that they've always wanted, mm-hmm. right? That Hasbro and Takara are not are not producing in, in mass uh, because it's it's not cost effective, mm-hmm. right? But you've got these smaller shops that are are able to do so, unfortunately, at an inflated price because they're not producing hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah, and that's the that's the difference, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I saw the. Uh, I don't. I don't own it, but the the one that almost tipped me over was the uh, the shockwave. Yeah. Um, quake. Quake wave. Yes, for non 
copyright infringement reasons. Um, yeah, but that, that, that was pretty much, uh, like a perfect, uh, uh, but, and it's one of those ones I'm not sure whether it'll ever get done. Um, no, it won't. But, um, I, I remain ever hopeful. So okay. they did, yeah, Grimlock and I don't know, some of the others which have felt like they, they couldn't have been done, like they, when they reissued, um, Gr- um, Omega Supreme, you know, the ones that aren't necessarily kind of Takara, Tomy originated ones have, have turned up. Right. So nothing's impossible, yeah. but I know the chances are slim. Mm-hmm. I live in hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Daryl, you have some other news for us too, right? One last little piece, switching gears from third party to mainline. Masterpiece Prowl officially got the green light to come to North America as a Toys R Us exclusive. And I just want to say, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is this is good news for uh, for everybody. This is a fantastic toy. I've, I've had it for a, a little while now. And uh, and yeah, wow. I think they said that the price point is going to be set at around 60 bucks. And uh, yeah, I think everybody should get this thing. This Prowl figure is amazing. I will be. Good. <laughs> the price point is is right. I mean, sixty bucks is probably right around where I could afford to get this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping they bring it to the UK because there's no guarantee uh, that Toys R Us U- uh, UK will do the same thing. But I, I didn't buy the Japanese versions on the basis that I figured they probably would turn up. Um, at Toys R Us at some point, so yeah, I'm pleased. There's no idea of when they're going to be released, Daryl. Uh, the masterpiece figures are are Christmas items, so yeah. look for them to start arriving. Uh, earliest for the U.S. people are going to be August, like that's absolute earliest, but uh, most likely will be late October. Okay. All right. So, uh, Jeremy, what did you find this week? Uh, well, the, the Transformers Club has released um, new images of the Thrustinator figure, which is in their um, their subscription service, um, the 2.0 version of that. And these are, they say that these are the production mold, and they have had some, um, there are going to be a few slight changes in the, the final released version. I think they've said, like, the pink is going to be a darker red to match thrusts actual colors but um i mean we get like a close-up of the head um i don't think we've ever seen the the robot body before this so i mean it's that the nice mishmash of waspinator and beast machines thrust and and i i just think it, it's just absurdly <laughs> awesome you're 50 percent uh, right i mean uh <laughs> let me um and john paul you're a, a beast wars guy what do you think of this uh I've not seen this until I have no idea what's going on. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, well, it's basically what has a, happened. Uh, really, right what has happened you. here? Explain. Yeah, well, the the base figure of this was a, a Japanese figure um, that uh, the Transformers Club has done a new head for. Okay, and it's basically half of the the half of it is Waspinator, half of it is Beast Machines Thrust. Who Waspinator turned into like. At the end of Beast Machines, it's revealed. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. That, so it's basically, there was a scene in Beast Machines where he was kind of like going between 
being Waspinator oh, and Thrust. Okay. And this kind of captures him mid, mid conversion. Okay. So, Thank you. That's cleared that up. <laughs> yeah. And, and they do have a, a picture here, mm-hmm. um, of the Thrust toy, the Waspinator toy and, and both and, and Thrustinator to kind of give the trifecta. Okay. So what, what do the rest of you think? Um, uh, it's not for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I did like Waspinator in the Beast Wars show. Um, but the Beast Machines thrust does not do anything for me. So, uh, it's not a, it's not something I'm interested in. Yeah. I, I have no comment on this figure. <laughs> this is what happens when spaying or neutering goes <laughs> wrong. Yeah. I think this is inbreeding. Yeah. <laughs> there is some serious money to be made of insect spaying as well and neutering. It's, it's a very fine art. Tiny, tiny fusion. Yes. Cats. Yeah. Tiny, tiny ones. That's, and if you're really good at it, you'll eventually get the chance to buy yourself a, a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did subscribe to the, the, um, subscription service. So I'll, I'll get a chance to look at this in hand when it comes out. So we'll get to see ex- exactly how bad it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Yoshi, you're, you're up next. I am. <laughs> yes, you are. Okay. Let's not pretend Hopefully I'm I didn't stalling. You. <laughs> Let's not pretend I'm stalling at all. <laughs> Cuz that would be unprofessional and not cool. But uh what I've got here is uh uh oh Jesus. Transformers for Age of Extinction uh Optimus Prime. Uh this is a, a newly announced figure. Uh it's up on amazon.com for 60 bucks. Um it features such awesomeness as chrome detailing. Um, I'm I'm looking at the figure. Nice box art. Night, yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to say something and let Daryl take over. There is a disgusting amount of kibble on the back of this. You're you're absolutely right. Um, I I am not a fan of this this look at all. Uh, there's there's people on both sides of the camp on for this one. So there's there's a lot of people that actually do like the way this thing looks. I am I am not one of those. There's a lot of chrome. I'll give them that. There's a ton of chrome on this thing. But I'm of the mindset that that Optimus Prime should be red and blue. There's like hardly any red on this guy. He is like eighty percent blue. So I that's that's a problem for me. I you know this is more of an Ultra Magnus color scheme. Yeah, big time. Right. Is this one of those kid figures you guys were talking about that's supposed to be more kid friendly? Um, I think, I think this is their first, like, this is in the, in the line of first edition figures. So I don't think so. This at, is eight, at the $60 price point, probably not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I don't think this is the kid one, but first edition Optimus Prime, it's generally more of a, of a, like a, a collector orientated figure. But, uh, yeah, no, it's just, uh, and the the alt mode, I'm looking at it right now, and it just looks so like it's it's like a matte finish, you know. There's nothing flashy about it at all. There's no windows on the on the door panels. It doesn't even like, come with a freaking trailer. No, no, they haven't for a while though. That's not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just I don't know. It's just it looks bad. It looks really bad, and and yeah, I don't know. 
Oh, I, I think another looking at the some of the there's some other pictures uh, on a little bit further down on one of the the links uh, that seems to have less less back uh, kibble. I don't know if it's the same thing, but just displayed slightly differently. But um, without the lighting as bright, I don't know. It sort of looks quite a bit. Uh, yeah, you're looking at the pictures from I think it's New York Toy yeah. Fair from from last year, and um, yeah, that's uh, that's when they first announced the figure. <laughs> It's, I think uh, it's, that might even be a, a different figure. I mean, the, the weapon looks slightly different. Yeah. It's possible. And it's probably hand-painted. Typically, mm. these ones are hand-painted. So many things went wrong here. Uh. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the uh, box art, does it does capture that murderous Optimus Prime from the movies pretty well, though. Or this last <laughs> he's issue just reaching, just Yeah, He's just reaching out for someone's face. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's just uh, I'm just so upset with these movie figures. I'm so upset with the movies. <laughs> I can deal with the movies. It's I'm, I'm I don't go into the movies expecting anything. I I, I expect something from the toys though. I, I want decentness out of the toys. I want something to you know work properly and not be a huge piece of crap. And every time I'm disappointed. Oh, just have hope. <laughs> There will be one. I'm sure there will be one figure come out of the movies that I'll, I'll, I'll be happy with. One day, an Autobot will rise from our ranks <laughs> and use the power of the movies to give us a good toy. So, what did you find, Charles? Yeah, so uh, I actually found a third-party swerve. So, this is from Make Toys, and it's called uh, Trash Talk. And since uh, back in the G1 days, uh, Swerve was a repaint of Gears, they've done a Gears repaint as well, call it Cogwheel. So we have Trash Talk and Cogwheel, and they look pretty good. I mean, you know, you might ask, why why do a third-party Swerve now when you've got the, the Generations toy <laughs> that's uh, already out, that's coming out uh, with Swer- that has Swerve? Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a small difference with the... Um, with the third party version is that uh this this version has kind of a more cybertronian uh, vehicle mode so uh if you're into that that looks nice and then the other thing is that it comes with a my first blaster accessory um so this is from uh, <laughs> and, and, and so this is from the more than meets the eye uh comic uh, issue number 18 where it showed since uh, w- one of the things that was established in the more than meets the eye comic was that swerve is a terrible shot so, uh, Brainstorm actually created this gun specifically for him. And it, you know, it's like a, it's got like the play school colors. So it's, you know, it says my first blaster. <laughs> and, uh, so that, that's, you know, that, that raises the interest. But then if you read down into the story, it says that the accessory is actually sold separately. <laughs> so <laughs> if you, if you want to get just the regular, um, the actual Hasbro release of Swerve, and then buy the My First Blaster accessory separately. You can do that, too. That was probably a smart idea on their part. Does the drink tray <laughs> come separately as well? Because that's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I, it looks like all those pieces come in a separate accessory pack, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. But that at least, you know, that's how it looks. But <clears> I guess we'll find out closer to when it's actually in stores. But I, I still think the figures look pretty good, though. At least the poses they've got them in look look really nice. Mm-hmm. And Gears also comes with kind of a a separate is it a, is it a head or just a face mask to make him look more like the G one toy? 
I think it's a, a switchable mm. face. Like okay. it spins, so it's got two faces. Ah, okay. That's popular right now. That's what all the cool kids are doing. So <laughs> so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh and yeah, so if you're interested in that, I think that's a that's a pretty uh interesting uh definitely I mean if you're if you're picking up the Swerve uh generations toy, you might want to take a to look up at that my first blaster accessory if you're a fan of the more than meets the eye comic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that that that'd definitely be on my list. Yeah. All right, uh, so we didn't want to um, completely skip over this since this was big news uh, last week. Uh, we want to end with the a little bit of discussion of the, the UK toy fair that uh, just happened. So there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of information about movie line toys came out of the UK toy fair. So not really much of anything about the, the generations toys coming up. I was, I was hoping we might get a look at Windblade and her toy, but they didn't really have that. So, uh, I uh, just wanted to throw it out. Any anybody have any any comments about the the UK Toy Fair? Any of the news that came out of there? I'm looking at this first picture that you've provided from uh, TFW. Yes. Oh, okay. Look. It uh, it looks like a giant furries convention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is yeah. all. Okay. And your problem? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you, if, well, we're not all Canadian, Daryl. That's our problem. <laughs> if, you, if you don't dress up as an animal, you can't enjoy a nice bit of spaying. That's that's the thing. <laughs> I dressed up it's as a deer. Joke that just keeps. I on dressed giving. up as a deer from issue nineteen of the old comic, <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, someone dressed as Ratchet, and I had a very consensual good time. And I don't think that's anyone's right to judge. <laughs> I think um, of the things I've, I've seen, that Globing Autobot logo kind of looks nice in the coffee mugs. But other than that, I haven't really seen anything yet that really makes me want to buy it. The coffee mug that sprouts a mustache as soon as you fill it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly. something I really, really want. Well, um, you can never have too many coffee mugs. All mustaches. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but but the glowing logo, I can see that. That's something that you can have, you know, it's on your shelf cool. with your toys. Now, if, yeah. if here's the thing though, if on the other side of that was the Decepticon logo, so you could spin it around, do the do 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 do, then you'd have had. Oh, it, it should include the sound. It, yeah, as every part time of you it. twist it on its axis, it should it should do that. Um, so if it doesn't have that, then I'm not buying it. Um, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> the, I, I'm just looking at this. Are they, are they statues there of Optimus and Bumblebee? What's, I think so. I think this is like a, a um, licensee. Ah, okay. It's not like official Hasbro made product. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's this, uh, Paladone products, and they're going to ma- manufacture 30 figurines based on the Transformers franchise. So they're gonna, they're gonna take figures from like, Throughout the history of Transformers, some from G1, some from Beast Wars, some from uh, other lines, and they're producing 30 of them for the 30th anniversary. So, that, is that these little um, cute ones, or is that the the? Uh, I'm not actually the, sure. It is the little the little tiny ones. Yeah. Okay. Um the the ones that are in yeah. like the the mashups. Mm. Those are those are not them. ones. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the uh, it's the little box that black box with Optimus on it on the right. And for all I know, that could be a lunchbox, but oh, 
it, there's a, a close up one here that it says um, build your own on the oh, box. Okay. So I don't know exactly what that means, whether it's like a 3D puzzle, maybe. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we, we'll put links in the show notes, both uh, Sabertron.com and uh, TFW2005 covered the, the UK Toy Fair, and they have lots of posts on it, so we'll put links to all those in the show notes so you can check out if, if anything interests you. Um, one thing, I guess it was, it's kind of confirms that we have uh, Lockdown and Drift. They're both going to be in the Transformers movie uh, this summer, so... I guess that's interesting. <laughs> weird, weird faces. <laughs> okay, uh, that'll wrap up our, our toy section, and we are going to move on to comics. All right, so uh, just a couple of... Before we get into uh, our reviews, we have a couple of news bits for comics. So uh, this this episode is, is going up uh, about a week after it happened, but... Uh, on Friday, January 24th, we had Colorist Appreciation Day. So, and actually, John Paul, you tweeted about this and I noticed that. So I didn't realize that was a Colorist Appreciation Day, but, uh, well, uh, we at Transmissions are, are very appreciative of you guys. I mean, every day should be Colorist Appreciation Day, really. Um, at least that's what I tell my wife. Um, <laughs> well, when I look at a black and white col- comic, I'm just like, man, if there was only a colorist. Yes. So I, I, I greatly appreciate what all colorists do. Thanks. Yeah. Um, we invented color about about 15 years ago, something like that. Uh, I'm, I'm fuzzy on the history, um, something like that. So you know, but we get we get a bit overlooked as a as a. It was right after the the Ninja Turtle book started, right? That's why they switched. Yeah, yeah, they 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 just didn't have enough. Um, it was hard to tell them apart. So someone went, "I've got a great idea," invented the color green, some other colors. I forget their names, and um, <laughs> you know that's the system we have today. It's it's incredible, really, to think how quickly they came about. Uh, and dogs and cats can't see it at all, which is why you should have them spayed or neutered. <laughs> <laughs> if you spay or neuter them, that'll actually allow them yeah, to see it's, color. It's one so. of the many good reasons to take uh, to take your your pet to Ratchet and Megatron's um, mobile spaying service, um, uh, which uh, yeah, there is a Lamborghini version available as well. But I think we I think we've given that too much press already. <laughs> Yeah, I was just saying, you you mark the third colorist we've had on from IDW's uh, Transformers stable. And uh, we're just looking for uh, Priscilla Tramontano and Joanna LaFuente to uh, round out our, our colorist collection. Here. Uh, both both truly wonderful people as well. So we're, we're a good bunch, us IDW colorists. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm both <laughs> thrilled to be on now and offended I'm only on now. Um, <laughs> it's, it's an equal measure of delight and irritation uh, that uh, that us British can do uh, that I'm feeling right now. Fury and wonder. It's it's a gift. <laughs> um, but yes, I'm pl- I'm pleased. Uh, I I think um, sort of the profile of of colorists is is increasing. Um, you know, and uh, not that long ago you wouldn't see a colorist name on the cover, uh, and that has. You know, started to change. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I think comics is very collaborative. It's, you know, it's, I try and think of an example that, that, that makes any sense. It's kind of like, um, 
you know, listening to an orchestra and um, sort of favouring one instrument over another. You kind of need all of them to get the sound that you've come to listen to, basically. Um, so it's just, you know, I don't put myself above anybody else. But if any one of us wasn't there, it's it's not the same experience anymore. Right. Yeah, I was recently um, showing my wife some line art pictures that I've collected over the years and just kind of explaining how comics have this process where the person that actually draws it isn't always the person that colors it and, you know, shoot. It's just, it's like you said, it's really a collaborative process that not many people even realize what goes into, you know, to make the final product. Yeah. I I, I mean, you know, I think it's the same with, with kind of most um, entertainment, really. You don't necessarily get what everybody does. Um, but there are some which are much more visible. Usually the, you know, the, the writer and the artist are the two that everybody is aware of. Um, you know, but, uh, there's still people that think the person that draws it is also the person that writes it, you know, um, which is, as you say, it's, it's very rare that the same person would write pencil, ink and color their own work. There's just not enough time to get it done. Uh, right. you know, a monthly comic book takes a lot of man hours. Um, which is why you have the sort of production line. Because whilst person's doing page, finish page one, the inker starts that, whilst that person's doing page two and on, and so on and so forth. So, um, or it all comes in two, two days before the deadline. The colorist gets left with 22 pages to do, um, in two days. But love us, damn it. That's why we have a special day. <laughs> uh, I didn't get one card either. So, very upset about that. <laughs> so, we'll 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 remember you for next thanks. year. That's uh, I'm going to be holding you to that. <laughs> so, do you count e cards? Uh, yeah, I'll ex- I'll accept an e card. Um, you know, I'm g- if I'm going to be putting my home address out on the uh, Twitter, I would have thought you'd be able to come around personally, dressed <laughs> as Jake Dalrymple with a uh, with a card. But okay, if that's if, if you feel that that's enough, then that I guess guess that's okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the thing is, Lamborghinis are are kind of expensive to rent. Well, if you're gonna do it, you got by do it next right. year. You might better digitally download them for half the cost. I reckon. <laughs> right, just 3D print a, a Lamborghini. Uh, I'm gonna have a 3D printout of uh, the two Joshes, Priscilla and Joanna here. So, and I've webcams <laughs> in the eyes of the plastic models. So we'll know. We will know if you don't fulfill this promise. All right, well, <laughs> this definitely won't be edited out so that there's no evidence of, of this promise, but <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> All right, uh, so just another uh, bit of news. So um, we've got pre-order codes for the upcoming uh, April Dawn of the Autobots comic. So this is the return of More Than Meets the Eye with issue number 28, the return of Robots in Disguise with issue number 28, and also the start of the new uh, Transformers Windblade comic with issue number one. So if you're excited about the end of Dark Cybertron and the return to our, our regular uh, artists and uh, and storylines, uh, you should definitely go down to your comic shop and put those pre-order codes in. So uh, I'll put those in the show notes so uh, you'll you'll be able to just print them out or put them on your smartphone and, and show them to your, your local comic shop uh, guy. And, uh, yeah, Jeremy, you already did this, didn't you? Yeah, well, I didn't have the code. I just told them I, w- I wanted to add Windblade to my pull list. And, okay. I mean, it- it's worked in the past when I've told them that, um, for other titles. So I'm just trusting that it's going to work. Cool. All right. Uh, and, uh, 
one other thing, uh, there's a, um, a Tom Scioli who is doing the G.I. Joe versus Transformers, uh, crossover comic that's coming out, uh, with, it's going to debut with the, uh, free comic book, uh, day issue in May. And he put online a sketchbook, uh, of some of the sketches he's, uh, he's doing as he's working on the art for this issue. So you can just check out some of his early concepts and his thought process on, uh, what he's doing for uh, Transformers versus G.I. Joe. and uh, I, I think it's really interesting to follow this process along, so you can check that out. And, uh, Jeremy, you have another bit for us, right? Uh, yeah, there's also um, the, I guess, the Real American Hero, um, or G.I. Joe Real American Hero book is going to hit 200 around the same time that uh, Regeneration 1 hits 100. And Robert Atkins has done a special crossover cover for the two books. Um, and he posted the artwork for that online. So, um, we'll have a link to it. And, um, it's a, a pretty neat cover kind of has characters from both series or both franchises, not really in, in their regeneration one kind of modes, but you know, it's just got your classic, you know, Optimus prime Megatron and, you know, GI Joe and Cobra characters, just all kind of duking it out. Ha, ha, Duke. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, it, it's just, it, it's a really nice looking cover. Um, it, it's one of those probably a retail incentive cover for the two, two series. So I just thought it was neat. I was looking at these, Jeremy, and I couldn't help but think that between the four of us, that we don't know a colorist or an artist that works for IDW that might be able to get us copies of these. It's, you just think we'd either run into somebody that we wouldn't have to wait at our comic store and hope that they're the one that gets it in our region. Yeah, if only. If only. Please replace the handset and try again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have as much trouble getting hold of these as as as, as everybody. I I have to say, I'm, I'm still hunting, trying to hunt down a uh, issue ninety four uh, Jeff Senior cover and a second edition. Uh, second print, uh, issue zero. Uh, so I'm afraid I'm, I'm the, I can't help you at all. I wish I could. Oh, how I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So. I, I, oh. I think the, these covers, I don't really pick up the G.I. Joe title, but I think these covers are something I'm, I'm definitely going to try to look for. One thing that surprised me in this image in the upper left hand corner is that G axis? It looks like IDW G-axis from Dark Cybertron. Uh, well, I think the, um, sort of these, these, uh, kind of designs aren't necessarily the G1, uh, uh, sort of the regen, um, looking ones, uh, necessarily. Right. So, yeah, there's a good chance that it's not, uh, it, yeah, I'm just looking at his, uh, previous sketch. Yeah, G-axis is in there, but it may well have been the IDW yeah, he- ref. Yeah, I'm just surprised he's in there at all because, you know, most of these guys are basically your G1 guys who are, you know, you've got Hot Rod, Optimus Prime, Grimlock, Shockwave, Megatron. And, uh, yeah, G-Axis would not be instantly recognizable, I guess. He did say that he tried to fit in some other characters beyond what was, you know, mandated that he include. Like, okay. he, he wanted to have Destro in and Hasbro said, or someone someone told him that he needed to be moved for uh, for another character to take prominence. So then he found another place to stick Destro. And it w- it wouldn't surprise me if G-Axis wasn't mandated to be in there, but 
you know, he he wanted to include And actually, at, at risk right. of, of um, calling back to this repeatedly, but am I wrong in thinking that Megatron is actually spaying Laserbeak? <laughs> <laughs> if you look at what's happening, that is that is actually what's happening. Maybe Rodimus is helping a little bit. Yeah, well... It's, <laughs> it's reflecting off. Yeah, that's incredible. That can't be an easy fix, though. Destro's on the center of the page. You know, we need him moved over. Can you redraw the whole thing with Destro on the other side of the, the cover? Maybe they do a layout first, and I don't know. Maybe the, I hope I hope it's an easier process. Yeah, than seriously. That. Yeah, I, I mean, sometimes from from the uh, being the colorist usually being the last person to to have their hands on it. Um, sometimes very late in the day. Uh, sometimes you do have to make quite major changes. Uh, luckily, not too often. I'd, I've never had the issue with with uh, Transformers, but yeah, sometimes you get quite big changes that need to be made that somehow that no one ever notices they've been done. But um, uh, if you were ever ever had to show someone, you you wouldn't quite believe it. You'd be probably yeah. They could have changed all sorts of things on that, and you wouldn't necessarily know. Yep. All right. Uh, so that'll, uh, that's all the news bits we have for comics. So we're going to move on to our Regeneration One number 98 review. So, uh, uh, we'll ha- let, uh, Jeremy take us away into the penultimate, penultimate issue of uh, Regeneration One. I'm going to run a bath <laughs> and, uh, and relax and come back afterwards. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so regeneration one number ninety eight. Uh, we got three covers. Um, first one is by Andrew Waldman. Second one's by Guido Guidi, and third one is by Jeff Senior. And it's they're basically all kind of actiony. First one has those. Um, can't remember what they're called. The uh, G axis is basically his soldiers. Oh yeah, his his guard. The- yeah. Praorian guard or something like that. Right. And they're attacking, um, like Bumblebee, Cup, Ultra Magnus, and, um, Nightbeat. Nightbeat. Uh, he, the same character looking different between different series is sometimes gets me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the second cover has, um, Starscream just screaming in pain as there's like an electric, um, cube behind him. I guess that might be referencing the underbase. Yeah. That is uh, the underbase. Oh, uh, yeah, um, and that's that's the cover B, and then the re- retail incentive is the um, the Jeff Senior one. It has um, an angry Fort Max, uh, you know, beating Optimus and like shattering his windows and stuff. So it's funny. It's, I'm looking at all these covers, and typically there's a cover that just stands out. And you know, when I look at them and think, "All right, that's the one I'm getting." And um, as I look at them, I, I there's not one. I mean, I, I like the the Andrew Wildman one. It looks it looks good, but you know the Guido Guidi retro one. I, eh, it looks nice, but it's not. I don't know. It just doesn't doesn't call out to me. And then right. the um, the Jeff Senior one. It's just the proportions are a little bit off on Fort Max. It's a, I think it's a mess. I mean, it just yeah. I don't I don't like yeah. it. I mean, I think so, I mean, out of the three of them, the first one I think is the one I would choose. Yeah, that's probably going to be the one I get, just because it's the lesser of all three, less less crappy of all three. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, personally, I don't I don't particularly like any of them. Yeah. Uh, well, I I gotta disagree with you guys here. I I really like uh, the Jeff Senior cover. At least I like 
the shattering effect on Optimus Prime's, uh, you know, front windows. And yeah, that's nice. And, uh, yeah, the Fort Max pose is a little weird. Like the, just the way his legs are, are standing in his proportions, but I I like the action and the the dynamic, uh, movement in, uh, in that cover. And and Jeff senior's always been good at those kind of, uh, dynamic movement, uh, images yeah it it is also nice how they have um have circuit breaker there in his hand or um, yeah circuit smasher or circuit smasher spike yeah yeah um yeah it's nice how i mean this actually references something in the book the the starscream one doesn't really reference anything in the book directly i mean it it, it's something that's going to probably come in the next issue right so all right well let's get on to the story um and basically, um, this is, it starts on the hub network area 59 subdivision 17.4 branch 5 Z9 number J-4, whatever all that means. I think that's the part of the hub network that has the, um, my little ponies. <laughs> uh, but, um, you have some of, of Jaxus's guards standing there as Autobots start <clears throat> portaling in and attacking. Um, they think they've identified this, um, a vulnerable part of the hub network and Rodimus has basically ordered an all out attack. Um, before you, before you go any further, do you want yeah. to mention the, um, the credits? Oh, right. Sorry about that. Uh, this, this book is written by Simon Furman. Uh, Guido Guidi did the, the breakdowns. Uh, Stephen Baskerville did the finishing art. Um, John Paul Bove, who, has on on the show but he has stepped out for this review um he does the colors chris mowry does the letters john barber does the editing and chris royal is the editor-in-chief so as the autobots are attacking ultra magnus leads a team actually landing on on the planet to to try to they, they describe it as a beachhead which there is no beach but <laughs> so it's a it's a multi multi-pronged attack on this section and they've identified a, a weak spot on this that where they say if they get two synchronized su- two synchronized strikes on this particular spot it will um disable this whole section of the hub network so um you have you have a couple teams um ready to do that strike and you know as you see Rodimus basically ordering this and trying to basically Prove to Jaxus how provocative he is. Um, you actually see Jaxus in the bottom of the screen, just basically watching all this. He he knows he knew it was coming, and he's basically expecting it. I love that picture. Jaxus yeah. sitting there. It's just like I'm waiting. Come in, do your worst. Yeah, it, it's. I mean, you know, our, our review copies aren't necessarily the best representative of the artwork because it's kind of muted. But even even in this, the, the colors seem to pop. So I can't wait to see the final version. Yeah. Um, but from here we go back to Earth. Um, Optimus has finished his space bridge and some of the humans are there ready to, um, to activate the space bridge for the first time. And they're waiting on Spike to come, but you see GB Blackrock there and then Spike shows up just in time to see a figure coming through and turns out it's Fort Max. And he's got this green glowing around him, which, you know, we know he's been infected by that, that Matrix creature. But they weren't expecting it, and he basically takes out Optimus Prime just immediately. And then he, he grabs Spike and says, like, through you, one will co- become all. 
and it looks like they go back through the portal. Or I mean, they they start to, and then Optimus Prime tries to stop him again, and just com- is completely smashed by by Fort Max, which is basically what the cover was referencing. Yeah, I like how Fort Max says, "You should have stayed dead." <laughs> right. And I thought, which time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you look at his eyes, um, Optimus Prime's eyes in that bottom panel, it, it, it kind of, um, I don't know, they kind of look a little bit separated. That might just be the way this copy is, but. No, I, I think that's purposely. Yeah, I, I kind of got yeah. a, a reference to like the, the animated movie where you see one of the Dinobots' eyes just kind of popping out. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's basically just complete destruction there. And the humans are left just kind of not knowing where to go from here. As you see, Optimus Prime is completely torn up on fire. I mean, and the art in this is just, it's amazing in terms of the the detail here. So, I mean, what do you guys think about all this? Yeah, the art is definitely top notch. I, I really enjoy this. And, uh, of course, the colors are awesome here, too. Right. Before we had talked to, to John Paul, I didn't realize, I mean, I, I'm paying more attention to things like the skies now. And, you know, you, you're seeing like the reds in the skies and, you know, uh, it just, it, I'd never really noticed a lot of that before. How, you know, like Fort Max comes out and the skies are all darker. Yeah, that's right. Let's see. And back to Cybertron, we have, um, on the, the beachhead, we have Ultra Magnus's team. They, they're like talking about this, the surgical strike and how it's, it's about, about to happen. And, uh, Chrome Dome is thinking that it's kind of, it was too easy and everything's too quiet, which if you've seen any kind of movie, you, you know, it's about to happen. <laughs> so, you know, right as the, the two ships strike the points that are vulnerable, Jihaxis orders his, his teams in and all he, do, all he says is hurt them. And you have a ton of his troops just portaling in and attacking all the Autobots. And it's, you know, they have no time to react. You know, Blur is like, you know, he, he brought him this order Blur to raise the shields. And he's like, too late, even for me. You know, <laughs> I just, I read that in the, the Micro Machine Man's voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Getaway's crew on, on his, he was in one of the, the surgical striking ships they crash to the planet and um you know ultra magnus is trying he, he tells Nightbeat that they need to to get anywhere but here and so so they're they're on their way and you know being chased by by the geaxis's troops and one of them just takes out the hound and he crashes over a cliff and just completely incent you know incinerates and there's not much left and you know that was kind of shocking, but I mean, I guess we haven't had a good death in like an issue or two. <laughs> <laughs> but then they the team decides to split up a little bit to see if if that helps their odds some. And um, Nightbeat gets hit. I mean, they're just they're all going down. And Jaxus appears to Rodimus and basically saying, "You need to choose total unconditional surrender or complete eradication." And he shows them scenes of, of his troops being um being destroyed and Rodimus just surrenders. So another uh, another great picture. Yeah. Of Rodimus. Yeah, I, I like how they're doing the the basically like the holographic scenes. It, I mean, it's just it's a it works really well how they're they're showing it. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's largely uh, John Paul's work there, right? With yeah, probably all that. Co- I can imagine that would be very hard to color. Yeah, yeah, because I think the lines are probably just the outline of the figure, and then all the the shimmering effect has to be right. colored in. Yeah, I mean, and this is a very very action heavy book. Um, I mean, we're already almost to the end of it, so now it takes us back to the arc with Starscream and Shockwave and. Starscream orders Shockwave to set course to some coordinates, and Shockwave realizes that Starscream is not entirely Starscream. And Starscream replies, we are four, but we are incomplete. We seek the fifth. And, you know, and he, he says, Shockwave, you will assist us. And Shockwave is like, I, I, I can't, you know, I'm stuck to the ship. How can I help? And then somehow through some, some magic, I mean, they don't really explain it. Starscream, basically says come forth shockwave and he has a completely repaired body and i mean they don't explain it at all and i can only imagine that it was like starscream has some powers through the underbase that helps him to do that yeah i mean this is this is something that's a that's a question even for people who've read all the old issues because it's this is really uh taking uh like the the underbase never really had a you know we had a a very limited backstory back in the old comics and then with regeneration one number zero you had that story with g-axis and i guess those other boltax right so i think at least it seems like somehow starscream is being possessed by the spirits of boltax and those other those other guys who were in charge of the underbase i mean that's my guess i don't know I'm, i'm wondering who the fifth is though yeah, I don't I don't know if that if that's referring also to G Axis. I don't know. Yeah. Like if they wanna if they wanna reintegrate G Axis into the underbase. Yeah, but I mean that, that picture of Shockwave there I think would make a really good like poster or single image. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's Shockwave with like purple light shining behind him. Yeah, that's that's definitely a cool pose there. Alright, so the final page here is the, the Primus Chamber. You have all the, the Unicron worshipping um bots and and Primus saying, basically, um, you've brought me the Ravager of Worlds, talking about Galvatron. And he's like, and so, you know, you can go, and he kills them all. <laughs> and um, he's a, it ends with him saying, order chaos, good, evil, such, distinctions, or such distinctions will soon be irrelevant, or irrelevant, moot. One will be all, let us begin. And that is how this issue ends. I mean, the chamber is like full of the green light that we saw when he became possessed by that, um, that dark energy. Yeah. You mean Fortress Maximus? Yeah. Well, we also, um, with the Primus chamber. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. It also became possessed with that energy. Yeah. So it's, is, is, uh, is this all from the, like the dark matrix, uh, creature or is it from somewhere else or is it a like a leftover unicron spirit or something i don't it's a lots of questions now <laughs> with only two issues left yeah no and i mean it seems like there's still a lot of things to wrap up but i mean it's really i guess three issues because i think issue 100 is double sized yeah it's, um i think it's 32 pages so it's, oh, it's ten, not not quite double sized yeah 10 extra pages yeah yeah it, it's definitely you know in my opinion, it's a lot better than it started off. It started off really slow, and you know this this book was nothing but action the entire way through. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed this one, and it was it was also a little bit dark because we see Rodimus Prime like finally 
taking some proactive measures, but it ultimately is a complete failure. Yeah. So Daryl, what are your uh, I, thoughts? I, I liked it. Um, I've always been a fan of the, the big action books, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just get all the, the talking out of the way and just fight, you know. <laughs> it's a fast read. And yeah. You can get, get, get it done real quick. And, yeah, it's the art's fantastic, as it always is, right? So, yeah, I just, I really liked it. Getting eager to see what they're going to do in these last couple books, you know. Like you said, it's it's getting down to the nitty-gritty here, and there's not a lot left to, to work with, but there's still a bunch of stuff they want to clean up. So I'm curious to see what they're going to do with that. But Yeah, like like the Starscream thing is still kind of not really directly connected to the other stuff yet. It's a complete mystery still. The Fort Max me. stuff is still kind of, you know, on its own. Primus stuff <laughs> is still kind of on its own. So you have yeah. these, like, four different threads that they have to weave together. Yeah. But I'm sure it'll work out. Yeah, and if you take a look at the, the preview from the, the next issue image, you see Starscream advancing on someone, and you see their outstretched hand But yeah, does kind of look like G-Axis. Yeah. Yep. And you've, you've got the hub uh, worlds behind him, so... If anything could take out G-Axis, it would be the underbase, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it would bring things full circle. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so I guess that is the review of Regeneration 1, number 98. All right, so uh, we finished up uh, our review of uh, Regeneration 1, number 98, and now we're going to move on to our classic review of the Marvel U.S. issue number 19, Command Performances. So, Yoshi, take us back to the 80s. (laughs) This is an issue that, if if memory serves me well, was... Uh, they were just begging about in the letters section of previous issues. When is when is Omega Supreme going to finally be in a comic? And uh, issue 19, he is front and center on this cover with uh, a crumpled up Starscream in one hand and shooting other Decepticons with his left hand. It even says on the cover, you asked for him, you've got him, Omega Supreme. The first page uh, is a full page uh, command performance where... Optimus Prime is introducing uh, Omega Supreme to the other Autobots uh, as he uh, transforms from his uh, guard tank mode to his bot mode. And the uh, with this, uh, Optimus, uh, Optimus Prime feels that uh, the Autobots can leave uh, the Ark inside of Mount St. Hillary and embark on their task of invading the Decepticon base and stealing the technology that allows for combining robots. Um, the Decepticons have a Devastator at this point, and the Autobots want their own. So uh, that is their mission. What do we got to add on this, uh, on this, folks? What do you think, uh, Charles? Yeah, this was one of my favorite issues. It just, I think this was one of the issues that felt closest to the cartoon for me. Like, you know, this could be an episode of the G1 cartoon. And it, w- it also showed... It really showed how Optimus Prime was, you know, such a, a great leader. Like, I th- I think in the comic, Optimus Prime had been out of commission for a long time, you know, between issues like 5 to 12. Right. And, and we never really got to showcase, like, why Optimus Prime is leader of the Autobots. And I think this issue really demonstrates that. Like, he, he has this perfect plan. It all comes together. It goes off pretty much without a hitch. But, I mean, he's, you know, just shows, like, he's such a great leader here. I might I might argue with you on that in a couple of pages down the road here, but let's wait till we get okay. to that. John, did you have anything you wanted to add at this point? 
I, I was just going to say, if you uh, if you look carefully in the um, into the the back of uh, uh, Mount Saint Hilary, there you can actually see the ghost of a child that was killed during the drawing of this page. Uh, shit just got real. <laughs> <laughs> where, where are we looking? No, no, so, that's, that's, it's one of those things. It's like whenever people see, I don't know if it's, there's certain films where like Teen Wolf or something where there's always a, oh, a myth oh. about, oh, if you look in the window, you see the ghost of a child that was killed during the filming. So, um, yeah, that went really quiet. <clears throat> and not at all how I plan it. <laughs> you deadpanned it so well. So. Yeah, not not everything I say will be fact on this issue. Just <laughs> just as forewarning. <clears throat> uh, no, I just I, I actually forgotten about this issue until uh, uh, I was reading it again. And I think yeah, it's, it does feel a bit like the cartoon um, kind of this issue. It's quite a straightforward kind of actiony issue. I I absolutely agree with that. It did it did feel like a cartoon to me this time. Uh, I do like the fact as well that uh, um, Ratchet refers to uh, old uh, Omega as big lump of steel. He's not a very good doctor, is he, really? I think immediately it's like, I don't like anyone, me. Terrible bedside manner. <laughs> he must have, anyway, carry on. He probably didn't get to spay or, or neuter that's what Omega, it is. and that's his pro- yeah. He's, he's Yeah. He's really anxious for a good spaying. He doesn't, Ratchet doesn't feel totally utilized if he can't do everything he's been trained to do. Yeah. I think that's the subtext that others might have missed. And we're only two pages in. <laughs> we're doing well. Please continue. Yes, we're off to a rocking <laughs> start. <laughs> All right, so the uh, the story shifts to the Decepticons, who are still within the coal mine, uh, using that as a, as a temporary base. Shockwave and uh, Megatron are still at each other's throats a little bit, even though in the last issue they... They kind of agreed on a temporary peace, um, and with the with the impending space bridge and arrival of uh, more Decepticon backup, uh, Megatron uh, takes his group and uh, goes to meet where uh, these Decepticons are supposed to appear. And uh, Shockwave kind of protests this a little bit, and Megatron ignores him for the most part. Um, what do you think, Jeremy? Where, what do you, how do you feel about how the story's gone so far? Um. I agree with y'all saying it's like a kind of an episode of the cartoon. One thing I thought that was interesting on the top of that page of the Decepticons where you have the Autobots mid transformation and you know, who among us has not done like the Optimus prime like that with his head sticking out. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. I also, it was interesting how the Dinobots, you know, this is the first appearance we've had of the Dinobots since they're, uh, debut in issue eight, at least for the U.S. guys. I know in the U.K. you got a lot of other stories mm-hmm. in between about the Dinobots. Uh, but for for the U.S. people who were, I, I think the Dinobots were universally, you know, a favorite Transformers for a lot of people. But they didn't figure too much in the early issues of the comics for us in the U.S. And here they're like here and then gone, and then we don't see them again for a little while. Mm. I remember reading somewhere, and I'm, I can't be more specific than this, but actually the wording here where the where the Dinobots talk is shifted a little bit in the UK version. It, it's, it doesn't read one for one to, to help make up for why they're leaving in the US story because they're not leaving in the UK story or something to that effect. Yeah, they did. I don't know about specifically this one, but they did change quite a bit. Uh, on in the in the UK stuff, so just just the a lot of the dialogue around to to make sense of some of the stories that fill in the gaps between the U.S. stuff as well to try and make it 
uh, a little bit more seamless. Yeah, and, and I think in the UK, Grimlock always had much better English, so they had to change some of the dialogue to get rid of the kind of me Grimlock uh, English that he used in the in the US. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I, I probably should look, because I'm looking at the UK version here. I'm, ju- I'm just going to look at the US one and see if it, if it's any different. But I'll, I'll do that whilst you continue. All right, we'll come back to that. So uh, we cut to a, uh, let's call it an 80s montage of the Autobots driving towards uh, the, uh, the Decepticon stronghold in the, in the coal mine. Um, the big event here is that uh, Skids has a minor altercation with a Lamborghini. Um, I guess you could argue that any altercation with a Lamborghini is never minor. Uh, but this will come back and affect um, affect things in the future. Now, this is this is a scene, um, Charles, on this uh, on this first page uh, on the bottom right. That is the first time I'm going to disagree with you with Optimus Prime acting like a a solid leader. It seems like it's been drilled into our heads uh, up until this point that uh, we're supposed to be very cautious and very caring of the humans, and here he's just so obsessed with the mission that he's not letting anything detract from that yeah well i mean he didn't run over a human he just kind of you no, know scratched right. the guy's car <laughs> i understand i understand i'm just this this is and right or wrong this is just one part where i I'm, I'm disagreeing with you yeah well i mean ultimately he did make a big mistake that you know happens at the end but yeah i mean other than other than that i guess <laughs> <laughs> i think i think we're ignoring what is actually quite a key moment in the history of the series uh, which is the introduction of Jake Dalrymple, um, <laughs> a fantastic name. Yeah, I think we can both we can all agree that the franchise has forever changed by the introduction of this chap. And such such an important key figure in in the mythology doesn't have his own action figure. Yeah, and I'm assuming his motto is "No one spits dust in Jake Dalrymple's face and gets away with it." That's what I like to say <laughs> on his text specs. It's a beautiful tagline. Mm-hmm. He was probably on his way to some spader or neuter uh, yeah. convention, too. <laughs> well, because driving a car like that, you know he's involved in something that makes a lot of money. So That's right, it is. He's spake, it is. spake on 84 or 85, I reckon. You, you, yeah, time-wise, that would make sense. Yeah. That's the, that's, that, that proves my point. That's the only flaw that we could have found is if I got the year wrong. So that's good. And, you know, he loses all track of that. He just becomes a smeghead, and now Skids <laughs> is his rival for life. Yeah. I've been waiting for somebody to say Smeg since you've been introduced onto the show. I'm I'm glad I got to do it. Good man. <laughs> now all we need to do is have someone cosplay as Jake Dam- Dalrymple at BotCon or TFCon or something like that. <laughs> if, if if I'm at a con and someone someone cosplays as Jake Dalrymple, um, you you will get something fr- from me for free. Uh, that is a that's a promise. So the challenge is out there, folks. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll, I'll be sure to mention that on the Twitter post for this uh, this podcast. <laughs> do it, do it. I'm ready. <laughs> is it is it going to be worth is it going to be worth whoever actually bothers to dress up for this uh, this free thing? It'll 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 be a, a piece of artwork of their choosing. So yes, I would hope it was uh, worth their time to be. I mean, not only do you get the the honor of being Jake Dalrymple. Um, you know, just walking into a room dressed as that guy is going to immediately grant you some benefits. I would have thought, with his blue hair and his mustard-colored shirt. Well, they they should have to come up here and say his catchphrase. Yes, in order to get. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to give you my home address in a minute. 
and you can put that on the Twitter. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm already tired of waiting for someone to turn up. Just as- <laughs> <laughs> someone to show up at home. I'm literally fed up, and I want it to happen immediately. So uh, that'll be in the show notes as well. Extra points if they actually know how to um, uh, spay or neuter your pet. Yeah, if they if they can, um, yeah, if they can convince me. If they can demonstrate on a on a pet they brought with them um, how it's done, then there might be other benefits there that I might be able to provide them. That might not be worth anything, but uh, it might be a, might be a short golfing clap, um, just a light. So uh, Megatron, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to keep going. Yes. So uh, Megatron and Posse reach the location of where the sp- space bridge is supposed to materialize and the Decepticons are supposed to appear. Uh, what's actually there are a group of Autobots. And Megatron is contacted, uh, I believe it's by Soundwave, that uh, their base is under attack by quite by almost every single Autobot in existence. So uh, Megatron takes this as the Autobot base must be um, unguarded, and we need to strike there. The uh, the Autobots are attacking uh, Soundwave and company at the uh, coal mine or at the at the coal pit. And uh, during this fray, uh, Mister Robot Master uh, can escape, and he does escape. Um, Soundwave orders the Constructicons to form Devastator and attack the Autobots. Um, you mean shockwave, right? Shockwave. That's what I mean. Of course, that's what I mean. What do you think I meant? <laughs> well, you said soundwave. <laughs> of course, I said soundwave. Fight, fight. Shockwave. <laughs> yes, uh, shockwave orders the constructicons to form Devastator and attack the Autobots. And while pretty much uh, shockwave and Devastator are occupied, Bumblebee is able to uh, obtain the the tech information to create combining robots and as soon as they've got this information and bumblebee signals uh the autobots hightail it out of there what do we think charles uh, this was all good stuff i mean nice action you see uh you know skids was kind of always skeptical of optimus's plan and you know skids is about to be sliced by this giant axe and optimus throws himself you know in the way and, and gets an injury so you know you've got nice heroism from optimus he also you know kind of Use, he, he makes the comment about using his speed to, uh, overcome Devastator, you know, strength. What does he say? Without the speed to use it, strength is a hollow threat indeed. I like that, uh, that quote. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like out of the A team. I love it when a plan comes together. It's, you know, the, everything's going well for the Autobots so far. I absolutely agree. I was taking the, uh, the, uh, the scene where Optimus is, is protecting skids way out of context, though. I, I have to say there's a very erotic subtext. Yeah, no kidding. If, that, <laughs> if the that. knife isn't there. It, it, either way, to be honest, um, it, it doesn't help that just afterwards, in fact, I'm just looking at, yeah, just where you've got, uh, where Devastator forms, he for some reason forms lying down. <laughs> um, and he's on his back saying, I await your command. I, I I felt that perhaps that page was uh, had some uh, lots of unintended uh, meaning <laughs> in it. Um, you you must have been a weird ten year old. <laughs> is it is it wrong that I found robots very sexually arousing? No, um, obviously I like I say I'd forgotten this issue existed, and I'm I'm reading it from the point of view of a very jaded, very disturbed <laughs> adult. 
<laughs> and uh, and yes, I- I'm also loving on on page ten that neither Soundwave nor Shockwave know how to hold a phone. Um, <laughs> they're sort of, or the, their communicators look like phones. Yeah, they're, they're holding it the way a cat would use a phone. I like the bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, sexy stuff. <laughs> I also like when they're leaving. Shockwave's uh, dismissive. You know, they know I've beaten them. They won't be returning. You know, he's so smug about winning the battle. He's logical to a fault. And he's also basically telling Soundwave, talk to the hand with his motion there. <laughs> a little bit of foreshadowing, maybe. Yeah, that, definitely. Uh, that, that single panel. As, and there's a good example there of very pink, pinky purple uh, shockwave, uh, Soundwave, sorry, as well. Yeah, that's right. So uh, we, uh, we now cut to the Autobot base where Omega Supreme is diligently uh, monitoring the area when uh, the Decepticons arrive. And we get another pretty cool battle, which I think everybody enjoyed. But in the end, uh, Omega Supreme is far too awesome. And uh, I believe it's only Megatron and I think it was Laserbeak escape. Mm. Or they're just not harmed enough that they can, they can, they can retreat. Right. How do you feel about it, Jeremy? Uh, I don't know. Well, one thing, I, I just think it's so stupid how Megatron has to be carried around <laughs> in his gun mode. I mean, even there, there was an earlier scene where he's like talking to someone and it's just a gun sitting there talking. And I, I've always thought that was so dumb. But I mean, th- this does really kind of prove that Omega Supreme is like the badass that he is. Yeah, it's not they don't necessarily need combining technology. They just need really big robots. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, and I also like uh, Omega Supreme has this has some great lines of dialogue here while he's, you know, he's kicking their asses and Megatron just, you know, just can't, can't come to grips with this giant Autobot who's, you know, who's basically ripping all his, all his troops to shreds and then is about to step on him. And, you know, it it just, it just shows how much of a badass he is. One question I have is if the Autobots can build Omega Supreme with materials that can withstand a fusion cannon blast, why don't they put that same technology in their own bodies? (laughs) <laughs> or repair a bunch of the Autobots that are lying dormant right now. Right. I, I think Omega Supreme in this issue has what's known as plot armor. And, you know, that's <laughs> his, his introduction is, you know, it's the first issue he's introduced. So, of course, he's tougher than everybody else. Well, Ratchet hasn't had a chance to spay or neuter him. So, of course, he's tougher. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I see, you again, you, you're, you're cutting through what's there and seeing the subtext. It's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, I think, I think as well with, with the, these old, older comics that they were very much, although they did have things that continued, they were very much done in one. Um, and I think they would, they would write for whatever suited the issue best. And, and it seems impossible to imagine that they wouldn't think, Hey, that's going to come back and not make any sense. Um, next week or next month when suddenly he gets taken out by, I don't know, a rock thrown at his foot or something. But it's it's what they do. I do like to think as well that his line "I am the number you cannot compute, Decepticon" would be what he would say if if Omega Supreme was ever on the Cybertronian version of the Jerry Springer show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> someone would just go, Mm-mm, "Girlfriend," and that would be he'd just be like, "Yeah, I'm the number you cannot compute, Decepticon." Would be take that. I told you. <laughs> There'd be lots of cat calls and woo. Absolutely. Soundwave would just keep clicking his play button and go woo. 
the 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 talent and the artists and the amazing the amazing stuff that they produced with these issues. Correct me if I'm wrong, John, but I mean these guys not only had to had to color and put in the uh, put in the wording and come up with the story, but they also had to meet the demand of what toys were being released and make sure that that comic focused on that. You guys don't have that particular issue with Regen One. Are you? Are, is there is there some aspect that Hasbro is demanding of each issue that that you guys have to be constrained to? No, uh, to, we, I mean Regen uh, Hasbro have. I mean I I don't deal with them directly, but I mean they've they've been wonderful in in terms of of uh you know allowing everybody the freedom to to do the best that they can um with their you know their their toys really. Uh, but no, we haven't um. The, the desire really has been, I've, I've made the odd mention of, hey, I'd love it if this, we haven't seen this character and I, I, I love them. Could they possibly appear? And sometimes they appear in the background. And, but I think Simon's had a desire to have certain characters appear. Um, and because G2 and a lot of the others ha- don't exist anymore, or they do exist, but in a different continuity or a different part of the multiverse. Um, I think he's also wanted to make sure people have got some of their favorites in there as well but but he has also made it his desire to have all of the really funny named ones in there uh, like dirtbag and you know anything with a unintentionally silly name i think he's tried to get them in there as well <laughs> so only self-imposed constraints yeah yeah it's it's pretty much you know it's, it's there's a lot of freedom to to tell the story that that uh, that that we want to tell really so i'm incredibly thankful for that okay um so we uh the the story cuts back to the Autobots um, retreating from or fleeing from uh, the Decepticon coal mine or coal pit. Sorry, and this is where Skids has a second altercation with Mister Lamborghini, which uh, causes him to spin out of control a bit. And uh, Ravage takes advantage of this by firing missiles at Skids, basically incapacitating the guy. And Optimus and crew just drive on. And I think it's happening kind of simultaneously where uh, Megatron and Laserbeak uh, arrive back at the coal pit and uh, Shockwave and him mince some words over uh, uh, Shockwave's upset that Megatron left and that he wasn't uh, he wasn't thinking it clearly. And Megatron is mad at Shockwave because out of all of his logic, he should have seen this uh, this trap that the Autobots had laid and Shockwave can't find any way out of this reasoning that Megatron has presented him and kind of yields his half of the power over the Decepticons back to Megatron. The Autobots uh, reach, uh, the Autobots return back to the Ark where everyone's kind of celebrating the the victory that they had and Optimus Prime is feeling, kind of wondering if the cost of losing skids might have been, was, was it worth it or not? And this is just another part, uh, Charles, where I just, I don't know. It kind of pulled me out of the story. I don't, I don't know that I would have thought that Optimus Prime would have acted that way. You know, one man's down. We got to go for him. Yeah. I mean, they also, you know, the dialogue make, they make it sound like they really thought Skids was dead just cause, you know, he crashed. I mean, and you know, the Transformers are much tougher than human beings. And I think they really should have realized that. Yeah, Skids was hurt. We should just go back for him. I mean, we're sure he's not dead dead. We just need to go pick him up and, you know, he'll be all right. But, you know, 
they they make it that sound like he's you know yeah he's just gone and i mean even in this issue omega supreme trashes you know six decepticons and they're not dead they're just you know they say they're in cold storage in the ark right so i don't know see it just it's just a little uh, a little incongruous especially with next issue where we pick right up with skids right 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 cartoon optimus prime would never have left skids there yeah, yeah. I don't think he would have, John Paul. I've kind of left the most important question to you. Okay. Uh, on the very last page here, uh huh. On that middle panel, yeah. What kind of Doctor Seuss animal is that on the uh, cliff there? Um, uh, um. <laughs> ju- judging judging by the color, I, I think it's made of butter or mustard. Um, right. That that's that's with my colorist knowledge. Uh, I don't know. It's made Jetfire very embarrassed. Um, <laughs> that's 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 all I know. Um, I, I'm going to say it's a deer. I, I think um, there, there was an intention to bring in um, woodland animals as part of the Transformers line, and you would be able to right. you'd be able to put a little fawn in Optimus Prime's chest that would drive it around. Um, yeah, and bears and stuff were going to you know hang onto the back of Jetfire, but um, I think they tried it here and realized it wasn't going to work. Uh, I might, See, I might be remembering until, that wrong, but uh, up until this point, I thought the animals were coming to the ark to be spayed or neutered. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, <laughs> now looking at it, it, it looks as if it already has been. So, <laughs> <laughs> so now we know what Ratchet was up to when everybody else was elsewhere. So that's that has closed a couple of plot holes, um, and you can take that sentence however you like. <laughs> it wasn't intentional, but take it as you will. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, um, I'm, I'm quite surprised at Prime's, uh, callousness in this after having, after having, uh, what appears to have been making love to Skids earlier saying, um, you know, oh, I told you our plan doesn't allow for casualties. Um, but then deciding to just leave him to fall off a cliff and go, yeah, well, he's dead now. Um, he obviously didn't care that much about the, um, the plan ultimately. It's a bit strange. And Skids was just a one night stand. That's that's what it seems like. And at the end, Skids is actually playing their song. Just at the end, there. <laughs> He's just, which is actually uh, dancing on the ceiling. I don't know. If, I think I think the lyrics had to be taken out, but I think that was the, uh, um, the choice there. And, you know, this is an Autobot that's been driving all day. He's been in a battle. Mm-hmm. And he's using the last of his power to play the song that yeah. he remembers Optimus to. It's actually heartbreaking. If you if you had it, all the context, you've got the conclusion of the animal spaying story and, um, you know, and the beautiful love between Optimus Prime and Skids playing out on this last page. Um, you know, I'm I'm fighting tears. I don't know about the rest of you guys. <laughs> Every page is a struggle, sir. <laughs> so, Daryl, we're at the end of this issue. What do you think about it? Uh, I mean, I always like these uh, these old issues. I I took them as uh, almost I compared them to the the books that that are made specifically for kids nowadays. Right, the writing was was not meant to be taken too seriously. So, you know, I I don't look at them and think, "Oh man, they they screwed that up. That that's different." You know, they you know, they really made a mistake there. I I I I look at them as just kind of almost hokey, you know. They've got the characters that I like and uh, you know, I you know, I don't um I don't put too much into them. If I want to, if I want something, you know, to really invest in, I I look at today's comics. They're uh, they're a lot more passionate. But as far as this particular issue goes, um, I really liked the battle. Um, the uh, 
Devastator was one of my first Transformers as a kid, so I love the combination sequence at the beginning. Um, Ultra Magnus is, or sorry, Omega Supreme is my like holy grail of Transformers that I've still never been able to to get. So um, to to seeing him in any capacity is just awesome, and uh, they they really did a, a couple really good. Uh, panels of him during the battle there with Megatron and the Decepticons. So, so the art for those particular panels was really quite good. But uh, you know, the story—I I wasn't super enthralled with the story. But uh, I always just—I always liked reading these old comic books because they had the the G1 characters that uh, that I liked watching on the TV show. Well said, sir. You got any closing thoughts, Jeremy? Well, I'm glad you asked about that animal because I was <laughs> going to. <laughs> And it, I just, it stood out so much because there hasn't been any other animals any, on any other page of this book. <laughs> so it, I don't know, it just stood out to me. And then it's like, it's, 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 it's like Ratchet is a Dr. Doolittle and mm-hmm. they're just coming to him. Yeah. That they, they regret he gets it, to perform his, but they're coming to him. Yeah. yeah. He gets to perform his experiments on them and they have no idea when, you know, when they come, what's going to happen. So good times. But, have yeah. And now, you know, when I do get the new generation skids, I can have him posed next to Optimus, and it just can mean something completely different to me than everyone else. <laughs> it's all about subtext and reading between the lines, Jeremy. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, the what I find about this, this story is I find it charming, ultimately. I, I think because there isn't really any subtext. Uh, and it's just, you know, from reading it, you get a sense of who all the characters are, uh, you know, and you have this, you know, it's, it's fairly clear cut, this, this, the uh, story. Um, yeah, and it doesn't, there are bits that, that just don't, don't actually make any sense when you kind of pile them together, but just everybody feels like they're supposed to feel. Uh, and, you know, you're into the story and then you're out again. So charming. I, I describe it as charming. Well, I'm glad you could be a part of it with us. Thank you very much for having me here for the erotic journeys of uh, Optimus. You, you, <laughs> you, sir, have not only um, contributed well, you have gotten a lot of mileage out of jokes today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just wanted to, before we close it out, just to mention a, a couple a couple of things that stood out to me at the end was... Um, I liked, you know, we talked about the end of the, you know, the end of the story with the Autobots, but I thought it was really interesting with the Decepticons how Megatron basically uses logic against Shockwave. And, you know, we have, you know, the, he, Megatron makes his case and then Shockwave basically can't argue with it. And it starts off, you know, Laserbeak is perched on Shockwave's shoulder. And then when Shockwave admits, you know, he was wrong, Laserbeak immediately switches to Megatron's shoulder. And Megatron has, has secured his position as as Decepticon commander. I thought that was that was really interesting. Uh, wow, you're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that knew that uh, a spayed or neutered bird represented authority within the Decepticon? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I have been looking, and I, I I think he has been spayed, as far as I can tell. <laughs> he, he's basically like the ornament of leadership. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's the trophy bird. <laughs> and if I can, if I can get a little bit meta, um, one, another thing that, that strikes me as interesting is that in the cartoon, you had the Dinobots were created on Earth and Omega Supreme came from Cybertron. And here in the comics, we have Omega Supreme being created on Earth and the Dinobots came from Cybertron. So, uh, that's just an interesting, uh, difference in origins between the cartoon and the comic. The Dinobots came from Cybertron? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. In the comic, yeah. They were they were members of the original ARC crew. 
they were they were formatted into Dinobots by the arc. Right. But you know, in the cartoon, Wheeljack created them. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. All right. Um because I'm right in saying, yeah, it was the this um the shockwave was it is it not shockwave got there and the arc woke them up to to, yeah, yeah, to fight right. them, yeah, while whilst the others were still asleep. Right. I think the part that's confusing me is that the the Optimus Prime and the Autobots took the consciousness of several Autobots and and in piecing some of the interestingly written stories, the arc used that consciousness, not not physical bots that were there, but used those consciousness consciousness the word <laughs> and and built the Dinobots using those. Did they? I thought they were just like five guys who were just one you know Yeah, I thought that. They were just always in back in the background I, and I you think, never saw I, them. I think we had this discussion in issue eight, I think is when we had it, if I remember correctly. But you've got the you've got the uh uh touch. The memory, Charles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I, I do remember we talked about it just because it was the 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 question that it raises is that okay, if these guys were there, why didn't they wake up the other Autobots when they woke up and you know, why and why didn't the other Autobots notice they were gone when when they woke up later? And of course that opens up a whole, you know, there's there's a there's a litany of uh of plot holes to to dissect there, but I think we uh we just let it we, we let it go. <laughs> well, I think we have part of the answer here. Optimus Prime just, you know, he just leaves them to die. So he he doesn't really care about his people. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to we got to stop this, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone too far. We're going to hurt ourselves. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that'll wrap up our classic review of Transformers number 19. Okay, so we're going to we're going to move on and we've just got a little bit of convention news uh, that Jeremy found for us. So Jeremy, uh, why don't you let us know about that? Yeah, this is like uh, it's probably one of the the biggest gets that TFCon has has probably ever had. Um it was announced that Aaron Archer is going to be attending the next TFCon Toronto uh coming this summer and he he basically headed the transformers brand for hasbro for over 13 years um up until i think the middle of last year and uh so he, he basically was behind the the unicron trilogy uh the rd era uh on into a lot of the current stuff that he probably had his hand on some of the, the generation stuff that's coming out now and um since he left Hasbro, you haven't heard much from him. And so this kind of just came out of nowhere, at least on my radar. And I think it's just, like I said, it's a huge get for TFCon. And, you know, hopefully, you know, I know Daryl's going to be at TFCon. I don't know if anyone else from the show is. Um, but hopefully, so, you know, we'll we'll have someone that can ask him a few questions there at the show. I'll, I'll try my best. <laughs> no pressure, Daryl. <laughs> just walk up hey oh. hey um so uh so you make you made you made transformers <laughs> yeah well he's gonna be in a q a panel so yeah um we, we I, might try to write some questions down ahead of time yeah <laughs> you'd have you better um i um i was following uh proto man who's friend of the show here obviously who joined us on here a while back and he uh he tweeted out he said that's right aaron archer is coming to tfcon and this is nothing Nothing. <laughs> so he said, hashtag get hyped. 
So um, he said TFCon is basically uh, shaping up to be an insane year this year. So, And, and you were uh, worried about the Toronto Con not getting the guests because they have the, the new Chicago TFCon. I was. I was. This is, uh, this is pretty huge. Yeah. I was right about Prowl. Give me that. But uh, <laughs> pr- pretty wrong about this one. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is big big news. I mean, this guy Aaron Archer has had his hand in absolutely every aspect of Transformers for the last decade. It's it's amazing. Yeah, and actually, like I think it was the the BotCon in Dallas this last one. I actually have two um, Autobot and Decepticon logo from the Hasbro booth that he like as he was leaving. He was like, "Hey, anyone want these?" And a bunch of us were in the lobby of the hotel, and I was like, "Sure." So, you know, I, I got those from him. I think that was probably like he, he probably knew he was leaving and I don't know. So that's kind of neat. Did he sign them? No. Oh. I think he just didn't want to have to carry them back with him or something. Yeah. But anyway, so that's, that's exciting. I, I kind of wish I could go to the TFCon Toronto, but, you know, summer's kind of busy. Yeah, I, I might be able to go. I still haven't, I haven't kind of worked out things with my wife. So we'll see. Uh, if that's possible, but I, I would like to try and go since I've actually never been to a Transformers convention. So what? I figure the 30th anniversary is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charles's wife doesn't know he's, he's even on a <laughs> podcast. <laughs> she, she hopes that you're cheating right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, she's going to be going through your text messages saying, who is this Jake Delrymple? What's going on? <laughs> and what's his fascination with the wildlife? <laughs> you know, Charles, you put her through college. Why don't you go to Transformers Con? Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The Canadian agrees with me. Yeah. Yeah, she might object to the phrase you used there, <laughs> putting her through college. That's not, ex- not exactly what happened. Oh, I see. <laughs> I mean, in fact, like when we got married, that was when I was still in school finishing my PhD. So she kind of, <laughs> so I, I think the, the score is even there pretty much. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So uh, that's big news for TFCon and we'll be on the lookout for any, any more guests that are being lined up there. Okay. Uh, so we're moving on to our trips to the store segment and we did something a little different uh, this week where we actually recorded a YouTube segment where we talked about uh, our trips to the store and we actually have some video on that. And we'll splice the audio in here, too. But since we have our guest, uh, John Paul, here, we want to ask him what he got at the store as well. So, uh, John Paul, did you get anything Transformers related this week or or just recently? doesn't have to be within the last seven days, but, you know, anytime recently. Uh, yeah, um, I... Got my uh, monstrosity uh, trade paperback, uh, which I'm I'm looking forward to reading, uh, sort of all the way through, and also my my one missing gap in my IDW trade paperback collection, Hearts of Darkness. Oh, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> uh, I've read it before, uh, and I, somehow it escaped my collection, but but now I own it, so everything's fine. So please stop writing in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, beyond that, I haven't, uh, toy-wise, I haven't had a chance to buy, um, anything, really, I think, since Fortress Maximus, probably, so. Okay. Well, I mean, 
I don't know what you think about Heart of Darkness, but at least for me, that was not my favorite uh, series. <laughs> um, I have been advised not to say anything. No, um, <laughs> I, um, I, I, I very much enjoyed Casey's covers. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I thought they were very good. Th- that's my standout for the. Uh, there's other things I enjoyed, but Casey's covers. Anything with Casey that Casey has done immediately equals good to me. So. Yeah, it's a shame he didn't get to do the interiors on the on the comic. Did he not? Oh, I'll have to have a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks slightly different on the interior. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's been a while since I read it, so. Uh, but uh, you know, with, with uh, kind of Dark Cybertron, kind of touching on certain aspects of things, and uh, you know, I thought it was about time I, I filled that gap because I don't get the big hardcovers, uh, the collected ones. So um, uh, usually it's the the trades. Uh, just as they as we go along, so I don't get them neatly packaged up. Cool. All right, and uh, so thanks, uh, John Paul, for letting us know what you got, and then we'll move on to what the rest of us got in our special uh, segment that we also have up on YouTube, and we'll have links in the show notes so you can see what we all look at look like and see the the stuff we got on camera. So <laughs> I don't know if you're interested <laughs> in that, but you know, have fun with that. <laughs> I've already loosened my collar. That's how much I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> so uh i guess we'll start off with daryl so what did you get this week oh hey that's uh that's me okay um let's uh talk about roller shall we i got a uh where is it here there's my list i got a g1 roller can you all see that a little higher a little higher up buddy hey Right in my face. That works. Okay. So, G1 roller. I have a G1 Optimus Prime with its trailer, and uh, I needed a a roller. Um, So, I was at a a toy show in Burlington and uh, saw it for five bucks. I thought, you know what? Cool. That's the the little stuff. Uh, Next on my list. Now, are you sure? Are you sure that's a G1 roller? It is the dark purple, which uh, I am led to believe is the G1. But, no, I am not certain. Uh, next on my list, uh, G1 Jazz, which uh, you can all see it there. This is in, like, primo uh, condition. It is, like, bone white, and it looks fantastic. Um, there is no rub sign, so I would think that is, is pre-rub, because the rub sign on Jazz was on the hood here. So uh, I'm hoping it's pre-rub. That means it's a lot older than it looks. Um, but uh, it, it transforms and looks fantastic. Um, it is complete. It came with everything. The instruction booklet, the missile launcher, three missiles, his gun, lots of good stuff with this guy. Uh, it cost me uh, 40 bucks for that, so that was pretty good. I'm jealous. <laughs> well, I got one more for you, Yoshi. G1 Six Shot. Duh. This one is amazing. There is one issue with it, albeit two issues maybe. There's no guns, which they can be gotten if you've got some cash. Uh, there's a broken piece, uh, his leg here. Uh, see the uh, knee bit here? Well, this one's gone. And it's not just like the pin came out and it's, you know, fallen off. This thing is actually busted off, and which means that if I want to actually complete this one, I have to take the entire leg off and replace it, which is a pain in the butt. And finding one of these... Um, in junk status is, is going to be a little bit more tricky. Um, but I couldn't turn this down. I found this at the same toy show in Burlington for $5. Whoa. 
That's a unbelievable. Good yeah, sounds so, like a good deal. Yeah, so for five bucks, I can put them in robot mode, stick them in the back, and uh, nobody sees this broken bit. Looks amazing. Um, next on my list, I spent a little bit more money than I probably should have, but this thing was calling my name Masterpiece Smokescreen. Oh. Unbelievable. It looks so good, and it really is the, I think, the best looking of these, these brothers, these Datsun brothers. The paint just pops, and it comes with the shoulder rockets up here. It's fantastic. I, I couldn't wait to do a video review. And so it's it's up. It's well. It's it should will be up by the time this podcast airs. So check it out. Um, I'll link you uh, in the in the show notes there. And and lastly, this wasn't from the uh, the toy show. I went and I went to my local comic book store and I got uh, Robots in Disguise number twenty five, Dark Cybertron chapter seven, and I was able to snag the uh, the re- retail incentive cover. So this is the uh, the Brandon Cahill. No. Yeah. No, that's that's friend of the show Andrew Griffith's cover. Uh, this is Andrew Griffith. Yeah, that's right. This is Andrew Griffith's cover. And this is a really good cover. I found out that my comic book store only got two of these covers and uh, I was able to get one. And in fact, the uh uh my friend uh, who loans me a lot of figures for um for review, uh Dogcades, uh he wanted the other one, so I ended up buying both of them while I was in the store. So Wow. Yeah. So I got that. Um, but that's, uh, that's my week. It was, uh, pretty good for, for figures this week. Does anybody know how, how many of those retailer incentive covers they actually print? I'm under the impression it's, it's based on quantity of distribution, like how many of the regular covers you get. So I saw a recent tweet by, uh, I don't know if it was John Barber or James Roberts. I think it was Roberts that like there was a particular cover for an upcoming issue where each store only got one if they ordered 10 copies of the other. Mm. Makes sense. So I guess if you get, for every 10 copies of the regular covers you order, you get one retailer incentive? Right. So I guess that would make it like uh, 1-11th of the print run, I guess. Yeah, Probably. Well, they call it, yeah, they call it 1-10th. Um, yeah. Uh, I know, I, you'd think that they would charge more for it, but, uh, I mean, my store sells them for 6 bucks, and... Um, if it's a cover that I really like, like the Megatron Galvatron cover, like we were talking about last uh, episode, I, I actually really liked the way that that cover looks and I'll spend six bucks. It's a buck more than what I would spend usually, I think, isn't it? It's a three ninety nine or two ninety nine. I don't know what it is, but it's usually four. Yeah. It's usually four bucks. Yeah. So it's $2 more than I would usually spend. It says three ninety nine on the retailer incentive and they're charging you six. Yes, the the cover price is uh, still the same regardless of the 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 cover, but uh, because it is the special RI cover, they do up the price. Well, if you remember back when Dark Cybertron number one came out, they had the retail incentive at my store, and they charged me ten bucks for it. So that's true. Yeah, I I just make do with the digital copy that gets all the covers, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just get whatever they give me with the physical. Yeah. You need to get yourself, Jeremy, one of those digital picture frames and just have it rotate through covers. Yeah, well, yeah. I have one downstairs, but you know, I've got pictures of me and my wife. Ah, I should I should get one and put it back there. <laughs> what a waste! <laughs> or I should I should just take I have a spare monitor over here. I should just put that up behind me. And use that. <laughs> Definitely. All right, is, is that it for you, Daryl? Or you got more <laughs> stuff to show us? <laughs> I think I think I'm done. I think I'm done for right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, what did you pick up this week? As I take a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> well, I made my 
quarterly trip to my comic book store, which is stupid because I work maybe three blocks away from it. Um, uh, I got Dark uh, Robots in the Skies, 23, 24, 25. More than meets the eye, 24, 25. Regeneration 1, 96, 97. And Transformers Timelines, number 8. So, I mean, we've already talked about all these comics, and it's just... It's a, that's a stack nice, and a half. Yeah, nice big stack. It's a beefy stack. <laughs> Some good so, books in there. Yeah, it's probably about $30 worth of comics. Cool. So you got you got a lot of reading material for this weekend. Well, if I hadn't already read them all. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Yoshi, what did you get this week? Well, I didn't get anything technically this week, but if you guys are all right, I'll just pull out something from the archives. Go ahead. Yeah, go nuts. My, my last trip down south to Portland uh, took me to a comic book store that was also uh, uh, a third of the store was a vintage vinyl record store. And uh, I walked into this section and I turned the corner and staring me right in the face was oh. the 1986 oh. soundtrack vinyl. That's cool. Awesome. That's amazing. It's so nice. And looking. when I took it up to the counter, when I took it up to the counter, the gentleman behind the counter goes, you know, uh, we have another one. And I said, you have two? And he's like, well, it's not the same, but it's another Transformers one if you want it. I couldn't say yes fast enough, and he realized this, and he just ran back there and grabbed it. So uh, I'm pretty sure this is one of the uh, Reed Story Whoa. records. That's awesome. Is that the box art and everything? Oh, yeah. That's kick-ass. Oh. So Yoshi, Yoshi, keep talking so we can see your see what you're showing us. <laughs> well, as you can see, Charles, it's very vintage art on both sides. It's, uh, I believe, this is a story record, and uh, I didn't pay too bad. I, I paid ten bucks for this one, which I just I could not believe for at all. And then the uh, the movie soundtrack was twenty five dollars, which I think was horribly underpriced. But I wasn't going to say anything. I just. I bought it and I ran and I still felt like a thief. So uh, that's what I have this week. Those are gorgeous. Yeah. And now you can put your original score CD right next to it. <laughs> that's right. I can. I totally can. Do you have a record player? I don't. Um, I got rid of mine right before I moved up to Alaska. Um, I wanted a, a better one anyways, so I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over it. I'll eventually get the one I want. Cool. So, uh, Charles, you're up, sir. What did you get this week? All right, so uh, I got to the comic book store, and I just got a couple of things. So uh, first I got uh, Robots in Disguise, number 25, the Casey Collar cover. Well, that's the same one I got. Yeah. Nice. That looks a lot better than the review version that we had. Yeah, that's that's something I really noticed, is that the colors look much nicer on the print on the page rather than on the uh, digital review copy. And uh, I also got to... So, uh, my, uh, comic book store pulled something out for me. I didn't ask for it, but, uh, they were nice enough. They got me, uh, one of the special, uh, X-Files incentive covers. Oh, Ooh, nice. For, uh, the conspiracy crossover. So this is the conspiracy issue number one. That's nice. And it's the, you know, the Transformers version. So I don't know if you can tell, but like right here, there's a little, uh, uh, glow in the dark Autobot and Decepticon, uh, symbols where they're shining the flashlight. So if okay. you turn off the lights, uh, you, the Autobot and Decepticon symbols glow in the dark. That's How cool. wicked cool is that? So that's uh, and so they did like uh, they did a version for each crossover. So they have one for Turtles, one for Ghostbusters, one for the Crow, 
And, uh, so my, you know, my comic book shop knows I like Transformers and they kept the, the Transformers one for me. So. Nice. And it's Teletran one on the, on the cover there too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So. Who said cool. customer service was dead? <laughs> that would be me because I live in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, you have to have customers. <laughs> All right. So I think that'll wrap up our trips to the store segment. Uh, thanks for listening and or watching and, uh, mm-hmm. We have more stuff to talk about on the Transmissions podcast, and you should definitely check us out. We'll have links uh, in this uh, video right below, so you can uh, check out the podcast. And uh, we've got lots more to talk about, so thanks. See you later. Let, it, let us know if you guys like the uh, like the video thing. We'll do some more, but leave comments below so we know that you like it. That's right. Awesome. All right, thanks, see you guys. Back on the show. Bye-bye. Back to the show. Okay, so uh, we're back from our YouTube segment that uh, showed off all our trips to the store, so be sure and check that out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And uh, I think that'll do it for uh, this monster of an episode. And want to have big, big thanks to John Paul Bouvet for hanging out with us and uh, watching the sun come up in the UK with us. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot for sticking around. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for everything you do, and thanks for inventing color. You're, you're most <laughs> yes. welcome. Uh, or as we say, red, blue, green, blue. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm still banging the drum here, so please, uh, if you're enjoying the show, uh, please uh, contact us on social media. Give us likes on Facebook. Uh, rate us on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, that really helps the show out. And uh, we'd like to, you know, get some feedback from you guys and, and let us know how we're doing. So uh, if you haven't uh, done it yet, you're going to have uh, to hear us say this at the end of every episode. <laughs> yeah, maybe no one's actually listening to the end, so they never hear this. I don't yeah, know. We'll That's start we saying it at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thanks again for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Don't forget to spam New Year pets. Megatron says. <laughs> All right, thanks, and once everybody. again, that's uh, thanks to John Paul Beauvais, and you can sign off. Yes, goodbye, everyone. Thanks for having me, and uh, I'll, I'll see you at my door in about ten minutes, dressed uh, dressed appropriately. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> All right, and with that, (laughs) we'll close it out. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Thanks for picking up our transmission. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.